Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Andrew Velez and Will Swanky. And it's now episode 185. In this episode, we are going to talk about the NBA Finals, potential heights this Boston team can reach, reacting to all NBA teams, Quinn Snyder stepping down from being the coach in Utah, and what a Jalen Brunson deal could look like in free agency. A quick Patreon a YouTube member shout out to Phantom Wolf, Danko Hawkins, Matthew Jimenez, UK Boge, J Love Clear, Zach W, Cole, Deshaun Watson's top five, Alexander, Nazir, Dwayne, Rivers a Gorgeous Man, Scary Terry, Travis, Jews the Goat, Holmes, Nyree, your boy Nick, Jake the Snake, Corrupt, Kobe, Dylan, Afosa, Mason, win in silence and make them think you're losing. Gentile Drew, Cade MVP, Mark, SP4Z Shot, Jordan What, Evan, Dylan, Joel is the GOAT, Mayo, Andre, Peter, Daniel, Ben, Rufus, Rooster, Kill Moves, Joel B, Eagle Dalla, Tizzy, Corey, Get Funkoed, Dylan, Playboy, Orlando, Big Chuck, Michael, Cole, Liam, T Grove 17, Tua Sucks on Cup, Ryan, it's Black Ace, Anthony, BJ, PJs, Langston, Jazzy Juice, Johannes, Dave, Muffins, John, Sean, Burner Hoops, Court Cousins, Hikari, and Jay Aqua. Good old Jay Aqua. Let's get into it. And for those watching, uh, Will is on the show for the very first time. Finally meeting the final man yes. of the Pick Aside team. Yes. So... Riv was not able to be here today. He has a hectic work schedule this week. He'll be on Friday's episode. We're going to record an episode this Friday, and we're going to have a special guest on this Friday's episode as well. You guys might know him very well. He's making his comeback. Maybe you guys can guess who it is in the comments section down below. But Will is the mastermind behind these thumbnails, all these episodes, full episode thumbs, all the thumbnails you see on YouTube. He's the mastermind behind them. Guys so, Will, them. just introduce yourself to the Pick Aside audience. Thank you. First of all, thank you guys so much for inviting me on, getting to be in this room for the first time. It's a, a little weird. I'm looking at a very different side of the room right now, but just thank you for inviting me on. It's, I can't think of a better time to be here. That's a fact. After That's game two, I mean, it should be pretty lit. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. And I was actually wondering, today Darvin Ham had his introductory press conference with the Lakers. Okay. That could be a potential this week in the NBA topic, just maybe, to briefly talk maybe. about that. Darvin Ham, and he says he wants to play a four-out, one-in system, which means Anthony Davis is probably the, the big man inside. And Rightfully so. Russell Westbrook's most likely staying with L.A., so we'll get into all that. But let's start with the NBA Finals, recapping Game 1 and Game 2 of the Finals. In Game 1, Celtics beat the Warriors 120-108. to Game two, they lost 88 to 107. Series is tied 1-1. They're going to Boston next for the next two games. So now, Drew, what do you what have you been seeing in this series? What do you project to happen in game three? Are you worried in the slightest about your Boston Celtics? Definitely not worried. I would have been worried if after game one, down 15, they didn't come back from double digits in chase and win by double digits. I would be concerned if that wasn't the case. But that was the script for game one of the finals. So for game two, for them to come out flat in the start of the second half, Golden State Warriors absolutely dominated both sides of the court. It was inevitable. As long as you got one in chase, if you're the Celtics, you cannot complain whatsoever. I'm not worried by any means. First game, Jason Tatum struggled shooting, and they won by double digits. 
And also it speaks to his greatness because he didn't have to impact the game in terms of scoring. He impacted the game in terms of defense, in terms of facilitating the basketball. So as long as they got one, I was fine with it. I wasn't expecting a 2-0 sweep at home, uh, excuse me, away against the Warriors. That would have been egregious, and then I would have started to to call out for a sweep, truthfully. But I wasn't expecting it. I'm optimistic if I'm the Celtics. We took one uh, in one of the most hostile environments to play in. You're going back to your home court. If I'm the Celtics, I realize that this was a bad shooting performance for us. In game two, of course. We couldn't hit we couldn't hit shots come the, the third quarter. Defensively, we were allowing Steph Curry to do whatever he wanted. The Warriors were hitting shots and they were playing great defense. They had to. They knew the pressure was on them once that second once that second half started because the Celtics were playing right with them. And and I was a little concerned at the start of the game where in the first quarter, it seemed as if the Celtics were dominating. And even still, the Warriors won the first quarter, won the second quarter. So it just spoke to just that the different type of energy that the Warriors were coming with. And I have to acknowledge Draymond Green. The way he was able to impact the game with his mouth, it was insane. Pause, Pause of course. But it's <laughs> it's it's the truth. The way that he was able to get underneath these guys, their skin. Just he be, keeps going. Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> get under their skin. That's a thing to say. Well, you said underneath these guys. Underneath these guys' skin. Of course. That's a thing. That's also very true, Well, But, however, you know, you guys listen with your crazy minds. Draymond was able to bother these guys and take them off their game, and that's 100% a credit to Draymond. His game, his impact is bigger than just his skills, and it was evident last night. So, excuse me, credit to the Warriors for sure, but not worried in the slightest. I'm feeling very good if I'm the Celtics. Go home as long as you split at, um, excuse me, at, uh, at the Garden, you should be in the series, no doubt. It's interesting because when you look at games one and two, Almost for 75% of these games, they're basically the same game. I mean, That's you, facts. When you look at halftime, both halves were decided by one possession. It was very competitive throughout the first half. And then in the third quarter, the Warriors, it's the Warriors patented third quarter. I mean, they just took over winning both of them very convincingly in, the, in game two, especially 35 to 14. They won by a couple of touchdowns in that third mm-hmm. quarter. So they're always going to be dominant. It's their point of emphasis to take over right out of the gate in the second half. But then the fourth quarter is obviously in game one. It was the Derek White and Al Horford show, as we know. And, and Jalen Brown. Yeah, okay. I mean, Jalen Brown was great in game one just in general. But For sure. Yeah, they opened the fourth quarter in a dominant fashion. And in the fourth quarter of game two, the Warriors just, they kept their foot on the gas. They did not allow those things to happen. They sat Steph Curry for the whole fourth quarter. And then it didn't bother them. They didn't really need him to play at all. So that's good for them when you look at his you know, stamina and the playoffs going forward, being able to sit him there down the stretch is definitely a valuable thing. But it, yeah, clearly it's interesting what you said, uh, Drew, about, you know, being worried about the Celtics and whatnot, because them getting game one is obviously very important when you seal a game on the road, you know, in the finals, it, it, any playoff series is going to be important for your team. But the fact that that Derek White and now Horford performed as well as they did in that in game one, how did you feel about, you know, people saying after the game, well, Draymond even said it, you know, they're not going to shoot like that again. We're not really worried about it's it. It's been like that all, oh, like the entire playoffs. He's right, though. Whatever you, if you want to think that, fine. But we've seen throughout the entirety of the playoffs, whether it be Al Horford, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, Derek White, 
Payne Pritchard, they're all capable of hitting big time shots in, in games. Mm-hmm. And we we've seen it in every single series they've played. That's just him trying to get underneath their skin again. Okay. Now I would just say the one thing is that if you agree that he's right, and you know, getting game one is definitely valuable for them, but if you're gonna be worried about the Celtics going forward, if that's what they need to win these games, those, you know, freak performances from Horford hitting, you know, whatever how many threes straight he hit, um, that could just be a point of concern, I think, going forward. It is a point of concern. And this series should be 2-0 Warriors going into Boston. Boston hasn't been a great home team. Uh, I picked Golden State in six. Should be should be 2-0 is hilarious when they blew a 15-point lead going into the And court. they should never blew that lead. But that being what, said. What does that do with anything? that being said, the one adjustment they made from game one to game two that I saw is that they just played man. In game one, it was a lot of zone. Game, one, game two, they played zone one possession. The Celtics hit a three on that. They went away from it. They played man the entire time. Draymond took the responsibility of getting Jalen Brown. Clay Thompson was on Al Horford. I did not see not. I saw one post that ran for Al Horford. I thought he was foul on that play. It was in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, Al Horford did not even attempt a three in game two after hitting six in game one. That tells me that, that, that they have already figured that part out. They figured... Okay, we're just going to put Clay on Al Horford. He's strong enough to contend with him in the post, and he's going to be able to to be quick enough to um, help when drivers are driving to the basket and also recover on Al Horford if a pass is made. Game one, Horford, Smart, Derek White combined for 65 points. Game two, it was 18. Draymond Green was absolutely right. I mean, yes, you can count on Horford, Smart, and White to hit occasional big-time shots. But when Marcus Smart has 20, and Al Horford has 26, and Derek White has 21, that's not going to happen. We know it's not going to happen. That You're praying to the gods it happens. Dude, it's happened all playoffs long. Not all at the same time, but can we please like give them some respect? They've hit big shots the entire playoffs. If you would have bet this outcome and on DraftKings, FanDuel, whatever sports book you use, you would have bet $10 on them to get 20-plus points, plus, plus the Celtics winning, you'd probably have... $50,000 right now. For sure. That's how unlikely it is for that to happen. And really, the Warriors stayed the same from Game 1 to Game 2 in terms of their splits. Boston's the one that really struggled. In Game 1 to Game 2, Boston in Game 1, 50% from the field, 50% from 3. They were great. Game 2, 37% from the field, 40% from 3. And the defense, the defensive intensity for Golden State was just there. 15 steals in Game 2. They were getting after it offensively, 40 points in the paint. They limited the turnovers. They only had 12. And for, I know you didn't bring this up, Drew, but we talked about it in the group chat a little bit about the refing. I think it's just a way for Celtics fans to complain about what happened. I wasn't going to go that route. Yeah, we talked about it a little before the show. I mean, it was more in the first half, you could argue. But in the second half, the Warriors blew them out, so it didn't matter. But you look at the discrepancy. Boston had 18 fouls. Warriors had 17. It was 17 to 20 free throw attempts. That's not enough. That's not a big enough discrepancy for me to say that's a long. It was lack of whistles. No, were were there some calls that maybe should should have been called or should have not been called? Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, people argue Draymond should he have been tossed out after he was on Jalen Brown. That I don't. I don't agree with that. I agree. The the Gary Payne foul when he drove to the basket and Jalen Brown barely touched him. That was no, not barely. He did not touch him. (laughs) He did not touch him. That to me, though, there of course there's some missed calls, but these refs are human. Of course, 
But the Warriors were just flat out better, especially in the third quarter. The same way they were they were better in the third quarter in game one, and then they blew the lead in the fourth. They were better in the third quarter in game in game in game two. Steph Curry going off, Jordan Poole going off late, and then hitting that half court three to end the third quarter, going into the fourth. And the Celtics, Ime threw in the towel in the fourth. For sure. Ten minute mark. Aaron Neesmith is out there. That's when I know the game is over and you're, you're you have given up on the game. When Aaron Neesmith is out there, he's out there. I already know it's over with. Mm-hmm. The Warriors, to me, made great adjustments. The defensive intensity was there. It was. I felt like the uh, Eagle Dollar being hurt, not that I want him to be hurt, but it, it, it allowed Kerr to now play Gary Payne a second, to now give Bielitsa more minutes. And Bielitsa held his own on defense. He did. He provided them spacing and a, a playmaker because he's a pretty good passer. And Gary Payne a second, just the defensive presence that he offers to Golden State is very huge. Now, the way that I think the Celtics can adjust in Game 3 is pretty much easy. Is They have to stop playing drop coverage on these pick-and-roll situations because Steph and Jordan Poole in Game 2 were feasting on him, especially Steph. Jordan Poole got going later, but especially Steph. He was feasting. It doesn't matter whether, whether it was Rob Will or Al Horford. They were giving Steph way too much space. I feel very confident about the Warriors in Game 3 and in this series in general because we have not seen Clay be good yet. Uh, Andrew Wiggins has been good on the offensive, uh, on rebounds, offensive boards especially, but he hasn't even gotten going offensively yet. Jordan Poole showed flashes of it in Game 2, but all around he wasn't, he didn't have an all-around consistent game. It's going to click for the Warriors, and when it does, it's going to get scary. I was going to say this, where this game was really a domination by the Warriors. He only scored 107 points. Defensively, the Celtics are fine. 100% I agree. They need to start playing up on screens. You can't allow any type of spacing when it comes to Poole or Curry, especially the way that Curry's shooting right now. He's been He's been phenomenal for the Warriors. He's not going to miss those opportunities, and he's going to take them if the Celtics give it to him. But they only let up 100 points here. If I'm the Celtics, I just need to come back come back and realize we need consistent offense. We are in these games if we are just consistently who we are and who we've been the entire season. But that's the thing, though. Boston does this. They've they've shown us this in the playoffs. Absolutely. And I, that's I mean, exactly J- why. Brown, why would I be worried? Jalen Brown, great first quarter. He did. I didn't. I didn't know where he was for the rest of the no doubt. three quarters. No doubt. Jason Tatum was the most consistent player on Boston. The fact that he had the the lowest plus minus, I think, just showcases how flawed of a stat plus minus is. Because I thought he was the best player on the court for them. And Marcus Smart, he was he was giving the ball away like candy on Halloween. <laughs> he was turning the ball over left and right. Or and he had five. I'm not going to excuse Tatum either because whenever I saw Tatum driving to the basket, he lost the ball. He lost control. There are things to fix for Boston, but these entire playoffs outside of the Brooklyn series and even in the Brooklyn series in moments, their offense isn't consistent. And that's what worries me the most about Boston is that you can't have these type of sluggish stretches when you face a team like Golden State. It's a 1-1 series. Like The way that you're talking to me right now is as if it's 2-0 and the Celtics haven't been in either game. I'd understand that that logic, and I understand, of course. But you got, you got to come out, you got to be confident. Both. To a degree, but on your home court in a game one where you're up 15, you're, you basically should just continue to put your foot on their necks. You allow them to come back and win dominantly. I, I think that going to TD, Celtics are fine. 
They're going to be in their home crowd. The They're same place they their lost home crowd. in Game 6 versus Miami. It happens. I'm just saying. It does. Jimmy had an all-world performance. That's what it took. Steph can do that. He can. The Steph one thing I'll say about Game 1 versus Game 2, and a lot of things people were saying was that although Al Horford and Derek White are not going to have the performance that they did in game after Game 1, people were saying that Jason Tatum's not going to perform as poorly as he did in Game 1 going forward. And it was kind of the exact opposite. Jason Tatum played fine, like you guys were saying, the best player on, on Boston, but they ended up losing that game in Game 2. So, I mean, you could argue that the Celtics just don't have enough depth going forward in the series, which I think is their biggest issue. I mean, they run a college rotation, Drew, with seven or eight guys. And you could argue two of those guys don't even really contribute that offensively much. for the Warriors. It's been Curry who has been all world and just guys doing their thing. Kevon Looney gave thing. them a calm calm eleven. Uh you have Jordan Poole who had seventeen. Clay, you said has struggled, but they kept him in the game to start get going, and even still he was not hitting his shots. Andrew Wiggins, another one. I think he had fourteen points. The Warriors, yes. Team-wise, you look at them on paper, and they should have the talent. They have not performed to their standards either. Okay, but those players are better players yeah. than the players that the and Celtics the difference are And the difference is that with Boston and Golden State, just look at Boston first. Marcus Smart, you'll live with some of the things he does. Derek White, you don't really have to worry about. Uh, you can leave him alone on offense. You're not losing sleep over that. Uh, Al Horford, you know, you have to respect them a little bit. Derek White hits Rob open shots. Will, That's Rob Will... You don't even have to worry about He's him not out an there. offensive guy. With Golden State, they do have more depth. And even if Clay is playing poorly, Ryan Rosillo said this on his pod on, on Bill Simmons' podcast. I thought it was a great statement. Even if he's performing poorly, he is at worst an average defender and the world's greatest three point shooting decoy. Yeah, he's deadly. You can't leave him alone. You like, not worry about it. Does, it. If Clay can be 0 for 20. And you will still guard up on him like he's hit his last ten shots. That's the difference. Um, and in t- terms of the depth, they lost Iguodala. They instantly had Gary Payne, Bayalitsa to step in. Guys like Fawn Toscano Anderson, who I think should get some playoff minutes, and he's a very good player. I think he's a very good player. He's not even getting any minutes. Moses Moody not getting any minutes. Kaminga not getting any minutes. Very good, I mean, strong. He's a serviceable role player. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. He's good for his We're role. We're taking it to the depth. I know, here. I know, I know. But I'm saying, like, the Warriors have guys who have, are not going to play these finals that I think would be in the Celtics rotation. Maybe. I don't, I don't think Juan Toscano Anderson and those guys at the end of the bench Come are on. better than Toscano. No, stop Derek it. White. Stop it. Stop it. Derek, Derek, White. Derek White. Derek White's been really good defensively. I don't disagree overly on his offense. However, yeah. he can hit an open jump shot. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And to, to your point about the short rotation, I think even though the depth is a bit of a concern, like I think around this time in the playoffs, every team goes into this shorter rotation. No, that's and, true. And we don't see like Curry played 40 minutes and he only got four minutes of rest. I think at, at in the beginning of the second quarter, in the first uh, four minutes of the second quarter. Uh, because without Steph, they basically fall apart. And it's on those lineups with Clay and Wiggins and Poole to now step up for offensively. Sure. And, and specifically that. Poole, who has been huge for them all season long, comes in game one, really drops drops the ball there, but definitely has a stronger performance in game two. But even still, 17 points. It was a domination, so you weren't asking too much, over, uh, too much of him if you're the Warriors. But even still, if I'm the Celtics, I understand. We played horribly offensively. We just need to be better going forward. And they can. They've shown it. So I have a question regarding Steph Curry. Okay. Because we know Steph Curry, 
greatest shooter of all time. But the knock on him is that in the playoffs, he doesn't. He often doesn't show up to the occasion. Uh, people often use his finals performances against him. But do you think that Steph Curry has been misrepresented in terms of how he performs in the NBA Finals? And it's actually the opposite, that he's a great Finals performer and not this guy who comes up short like many people would lead you to believe. You're a Curry fan, so yeah. I want you to give me your answer. I think when you're as great of a player as Steph is, all the great players, LeBron, KD, whatever, it's always going to be a lose-lose situation because if you perform well, if you perform up to your standard, people are always going to ask you to do more. They're always going to ask you to be great. And ultimately, Curry has not had as good of a finals performance as he has had in the regular season or in the rest of the playoffs. For sure. So when you look at that dip, even if it's not so much of a drop-off, even if he's not scoring 10 points... It still looks worse than, you know, obviously any other player because you're going from an otherworldly player, unanimous MVP level player in a regular season. One of the best we've ever seen, for sure. Going into the finals where, you know, the defense is stronger. You're going up against not the Orlando Magic, not the, you know, the best or the worst teams, but you're going up against the same defense every night. They're scheming for you. You know, you're the guy and he's still going to get his 20. He's still going to, you know, impact the game more than 95% of the players on the court, but... You know, it's a lose lose when you're that great of a player. When the spotlight's on you, you're never really going to be able to, you know, just blow everybody away unless you do that. Unless you score 50 points, unless you, you know, will your team to victory like Giannis did last mm-hmm. year. You know, that's when you're going to get the praise. I just think looking at the disparity between regular season, between the rest of the playoffs, even if he has a little bit of a dip, people are going to come after him for that, which is fair. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's valid to do that, but um, I just think that's that's been the case for him throughout his career. And I don't disagree overly. I will just go in depth into what I've seen this final so far, right? Game two, he had an, a, an unbelievable performance where he was not needed down the stretch to secure the W, right? The W was secured at the end of the third quarter. The game was over. Game one. Mostly due to his run. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. Steph Curry was... I just want, you, I just want to mention No, that. which is what I was saying. Steph Curry was fantastic. But his heroics weren't needed down the stretch, where in game one, they were. And with five minutes left, Curry couldn't score a bucket when you needed him most. So there's just moments where you see Steph Curry where he is really needed from from the Warriors to provide offense for them. And listen, they were going tit for tat basically that whole fourth quarter. That was an amazing fourth quarter until like four minutes left in the fourth where now the Warriors suddenly couldn't hit a shot and Curry can't, can't buy a bucket. I feel like that's why people scrutinize Curry more so in the finals, because when you need Curry to hit these shots in the prime moments of games, it seems as if he just comes up a little bit short. Okay. I mean, he's had his moments like the behind the back in what was that 2016 finals? Of course. Like against the Raptors. That's something that every real, like making fun of Steph Curry, whatever. I just think. um, What against the Raptors, though? 2019, where down by three, he gets a good look. You got to make that shot. The game he had 40. He had an amazing game. My right, point, he has amazing stat lines. Game one, he had an amazing stat line. But when you need him to hit that big shot in the finals, he just happens to come up a bit short. Okay. I mean, that's a little bit fair. I just think going that's kind of a like a small example of what I was saying. Like, Absolutely. He'll have 40 in a game, but one moment he performs poorly, everybody goes after that one Absolutely. moment. Look, it's hard for me to say this. Because he's about to praise Steph Curry. Get ready. I'm ready for it. Because Steph Curry has been somebody that has been a rival of mine since he's a rival of James Harden. 
but putting on my curry glasses on, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot this take from distance. I think Steph Curry is miscasted as a bad playoff performer, or not as a subpar finals playoff performer because we know he's not bad. No, I think he's miscasted. Even if the numbers may not always be there, which they usually are, the impact he makes on the court, the defensive attention he garners, you can't measure that in stats. For sure. But even when you use his stats, in these playoffs, Steph Curry, 1.16 points per possession. That's He's leading everybody these playoffs by a wide margin. He has a higher final scoring average than Kobe Bryant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Larry Bird, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, Elgin Baylor, most threes all time in the finals, most threes in a series, most threes in a game, most threes in a quarter. He's one of three players to average 25, 5, and 5 in the NBA finals, the other two being LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Steph Curry is an elite level finals performer, elite level playoff performer. And the reason why I think that for most of this time we don't view Steph in that light is because I said it the other day on Twitter. This is the first finals where Steph is the best player in these finals. Those battles with LeBron, of course, whatever LeBron does is going to overshadow everybody. Then KD comes to town. KD gets those finals MVPs. It overshadows that Steph was elite as well. And then 2019, Raptors versus Warriors. Kawhi, in my opinion, was the best player in that series. That's I think strong. he was. No, or I don't even, disagree. Or but... even if you disagree, what I will say is that people only feel as if Kawhi was the best player in that series because he is the one that won. And that's where winning bias uh, takes place in these type of arguments. But this that's is my... the first finals where Steph Curry is by far, there's no debate, he's the best player in this series. So that's why I think it's not only crucial for him to play up to his standards, but because if he doesn't, quite frankly, this is going to be looked at as a huge disappointment if he loses this finals. Only thing I'll say to that 2019 finals is that Kawhi and Curry, the only time that Kawhi even entered that conversation with KD, LeBron, and Curry was after, and Giannis, of course, excuse me, at that time, Giannis was still No, Giannis MVP. was not in that conversation. He, no, he was the... ESPN number two best player in the league at that time, Giannis. ESPN. The one at that time, I'm, still, I'm just giving that respect. About, you're talking about that time. That's the same time that Giannis blew a 2-0 lead sure. against the Raptors. Against the Raptors, very next season in the bubble, lost to Miami. Giannis was not but on that. At that 2019, that, he was not there yet. After that 2019 season, yet. I'm telling you, people did have Kawhi in that conversation. However, no, Ka- as Kawhi, Curry, best no, player. Excuse me, Giannis. I apologize. Giannis was not considered the best player in the league at, in 2019, bro. After the before the playoffs started, yes. He was not. I think more people player. were talking about Kawhi that year. Yeah. After Giannis. after Giannis said, oh, "Excuse me, mm-hmm. I keep getting the names mixed up." Once Kawhi Giannis had won was not the title, in that discussion. dude. Yes, he was. He one hundred percent was. But so all right, was that's not my point. Let's so, not get okay, no, so, we're no, getting no, sidetracked. No, I, I just want to. We're getting sidetracked. I just want to make sure the answer is no, Tw- not so, to me. No, no. Okay, let me just ask you. Twenty nineteen, he was better than LeBron. No, KD. No, he wasn't. KD wasn't even. Pl- no, I apologize. Yes, he was. He got injured in the final. No, he was not. Well, he didn't get injured finals, but he I know what towards, you mean. Yes, he, yes, of course. The no, he's not. He was better than Steph. Probably not. He was better than um. I'm, that was I'm close, though. I'm forgetting who else. It's really not close. Mm. At that time, it was not close. In 2019, Giannis is coming that, off an MVP Kawhi. and Defensive Player of the Year. Kawhi. 
But you hear me? Kawhi. Giannis and defensive player oh, of the year in the same season. I know. So, yes, people were chatting that Giannis Th- was the, the best MVP in the league. That's the MVP that James Harden should have won, though. He, are, he averaged 35 points per game that, that year. He was hitting Wilt Chamberlain records. One of the biggest sports debates I've ever had with my one friend was, who's better, Giannis or James Harden, after that year? I said Giannis was better. He said James Harden. I Oh, that's fine. Harden I win, deserved it. Though. I win the argument long term, but... That, that was a huge Yeah, Harden coming off the 35 points per game. So we're getting very sidetracked because my whole initial point was that... He just wasn't in the Cur- conversation. No, that's all I Cur- which is He wasn't in the best player in the wrong, league conversation. Which is wrong. That's but two years removed from his first championship. Again, he was defensive player of the year and MVP. Yes, he was in that conversation. So my initial point is with Curry and Kawhi, at that time, Curry still had the accolades of unanimous MVP, still has the world championships. You still can have Curry once Clay and KD goes down the best player in the series. So Russell Westbrook after 2017 was considered one of the best player. Well, the best player in the league. He was in the conversation. You think what that's he had done e- at 2017. That's an, that's an easy no for me. I'd never consider, even after the MVP, I never considered Westbrook. Not the best, the player, best player in the league. No, or even a debate no, for it. No, because obviously saying, LeBron, KD, we just, Steph. I, I just remember 2019 being Giannis was still labeled a playoff choker at that time. But Giannis had the Bucks as the number one seed and MVP. then they lost. Of course, I'm not disagreeing. And then the very next year, lost in a bubble. Yeah, for sure, heat, for sure. They were favored. But again, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, in the same season, hadn't been done since Hakeem Olajuwon. I understand, but at the end of the day, you don't. Nobody, nobody argues Giannis for the best That's, player. Nobody is he's losing in the playoffs. I'm telling you, that's strong. I don't remember anybody saying, yeah, Giannis is top three player in the world that year. That year? It what was LeBron, KD, Steph, Kawhi. LeBron came easy into 20, that year. He went into that next season as the third best player in the NBA, according to ESPN. That's the year he got injured, though. Uh, yeah. 2019. Yeah. yeah but that's but, what I'm saying. The list was Kawhi because he won. But why are, Giannis you, why, two. why are you using ESPN no. as to defend Well, I'm just so. saying that's just what people were saying. Okay. Because that, that was my ES, initial point. Based on the ESPN list. Correct. That ESPN, is their lists are usually very, very off. If that's your opinion, sure. No, I I think it's a concept. I'm not the only one that whenever the ESPN drops a list, everybody throws freaking throws freaking fire everywhere. For sure. For right for valid reasons. To a degree. For valid reasons. Because after that year, Steph Kawhi, LeBron, KD, easy for me. Top four. That's your opinion? Fine. So you think after the finals, Steph Kawhi, you would have rathered Steph or would you rather Kawhi? After the finals? Yeah. Kawhi. Just because he won. Yeah, that's it. Okay. But I'm saying before he had won, you still could have made the argument that with everything Steph had done in the league and accomplished, he could have asserted himself as the best player in that series, and he didn't. Yeah, I agree to an extent, but... Because that was my initial... What I wanted to get across before we went on these side rails. Clay was injured. Yeah. Katie hurt. Yeah. Your best... your That team had no depth at all. I think it's flawed going based on the finals whether who's the best player in the league. I mean, let's say... I'm just saying in that series. Let's say Jason Tatum wins the finals this year and he mm-hmm. wins finals MVP. Are we putting him in the top five yes. in the league? See, I don't know if we can do that. You, He gets locked in. Okay, see, I, I guess... I'm At lo- least going into the next season, he gets locked in top five. Maybe. I don't know. Over I guess, who? Yeah, exactly. We got to go through the list. I mean, you have... Jokic. Giannis. Now it's a would you rather. Giannis, Jokic, Luka. You're a LeBron guy. LeBron? You can right now. Steph. Steph is better. You think if Tatum was yeah. he still he he'd be over Steph? Like you could you could argue that Tatum is more important than Embiid. 
You could argue that. But Embiid's better, though. <laughs> what about I, KD? I KD, I think... KD, K- you could have that conversation for sure. Yeah. You swap KD and Tatum, Celtics are in the same position. I mean, KD's not the defensive presence that Tatum is. <laughs> but offensively, no doubt about it. He's more consistent, but... This was the worst we've seen KD offensively, and that's because keep, of the Boston Celtics. You keep Celtics. saying it. That's wrong, though. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. Can you just understand that that's what I'm talking about? Because that's the truth. This okay. was the worst we've seen okay, him in the playoffs. This is not the worst we've seen KD in his career, though. When are you going to say? What are you? What, what year are you going to say? 2016? I mean, KD this year was an MVP candidate before getting hurt. Okay, yes. And then he came back. They finished as the seventh seed, so you and think then he you has think, horrible performances for KD standards. So swap KD and Tatum. The Celtics are not in the finals. They probably still make the finals. Oh, that's what I said. They're in the same position with KD. I don't know. His offense was not up to par because he was getting. He was. They were helping off everybody for sure. But KD has shown that drive. it doesn't matter in every other circumstance. When? More likely, when I mean Kevin Durant against. The, the Cavaliers against Houston, name against it. the Cavaliers in the finals where they didn't nobody had had could help so, because so, they had Stephen. So Clay. Houston, the the Clippers series where the Clippers gave them a good good fight too. You're, you're so comparing, I'm just naming you're, every series that I could think off the top of my head where you're, KD you're comparing played. different circumstances though because Kevin Durant with the Warriors, you had Steph, you had Clay, you had to worry about. Okay, fine. 2012 NBA Finals where KD averaged 30. Yeah, different I, game back then though. We can't overlook Jason Tatum hasn't been the you know the pinnacle of consistency offensively either in this playoffs. But he showed his, up when he's needed oh, to. True, but he's had his ten points, I don't his disagree. twelve points, his I don't bad disagree. shooting. So, I mean, back to your argument of would KD still take the Celtics to the finals? He doesn't need to score thirty every night to take them to the finals. That's so, the point. So we've been on this one for a while. So I'll I'll just leave with this game one. Right, he doesn't have the great scoring performance. However, he still can facilitate as good as anyone on the court. His defense. Was well, extremely impactful. Katie's a better playmaker than Tatum. That, I, that's true. That's an argument. Last year, did did we not see in in the in the Bucks series? Katie had a forty point triple double, almost fifty point triple aren't double. You, aren't you the guy that tells me NBA's year to year? No, I don't. NBA's year to year, or do I say NFL's year to no, year? No, you tell me NBA is year to year. I say NFL's year to no, year. No, because you said that Trey's better than Steph because NBA's year to year. No, Trey had a better regular season than Steph. There's no debate about that. You said to me that Trey was the best point guard in the league because off this season, because off the he regular, was off the regular season, he was which, better than wh- Steph. So, which is what I'm saying. You're the guy that tells me NBA's year to year, which is what I'm saying. We had finally have seen a series where KD was okay, not himself. But, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. But there's a difference with that because yes, if if I did say that NBA's year to year. I am not using four games and discrediting everything KD did Absolutely in 56. Not. Absolutely not. KD had the Nets. Factor. KD had the Nets as the first seed. He was at the top three in MVP voting. There's an argument that if he doesn't get hurt, he is the MVP right now. I don't disagree overly. And you have to look at the series that happened versus Boston. Like you had Bruce Brown out there on the court. You had Andre Drummond out there on the court. You can help off these guys. KD was not able to drive to the basket. When he played with Golden State, he was able to do that. Last year, the Bucs, they they just put P.J. Tucker on KD, and they let him ISO, and that's why he was able to go off for those performances. They didn't trap KD like Boston did, or at least help off these guys like Boston did in the first round. And that that's basically where I'm coming from, is that KD with Boston would not have that type of those type of defensive schemes used against him. And I'll say this, 
and this is absolutely it on what I'm going to say. Last year, where we had the juggernaut Nets go against a beat-up Celtics team, at the minimum, the Celtics took one. Why? Because Tatum had an all-world performance. Kevin Durant is supposed to be one of the greatest scorers, if not the greatest scorer of all time. You're telling me he can't get you one? You can't get me one? Well, it was a bad series for them. I don't disagree, but my point being is Tatum, with a significantly worse team than, than this season, obviously, was still able to get one against one of the best teams that we've seen put together. Well, yeah, he got one, but that's also ignoring that Kyrie was worse than KD in, in Game 2, Game 3, game, and Game 4 this year. Again, Kyrie Tatum did not was show doing it game. by himself that one night. You got to get me one. No, I you're know, Kevin saying, Durant. Okay, but get me one. I know. I know what you're saying. That's it. I know what you're saying. You're just asking KD to get you one game. That's it. But that being said, that still doesn't... The, this original thing started because I said, you swap KD and Tatum, they are in the same position, and you're you're giving me pushback on that. I don't know. When KD's, a better, KD's a better player than Jason Tatum. Yeah, yeah, originally it started with who's better, KD or Jason Tatum, and KD's better than Jason Tatum. KD's a better scorer than him. He's a better playmaker than him. And That's you, you like to act as if Jason Tatum is this... Defensive Leaps and bounds. He's above defensively than KD. Great defensively. He's KD and him are neck and neck defensively. They're on the same tier defensively. They are on the same tier. I disagree. K- KD is not some average defender. I disagree. Did you did, did you watch Golden State where he so was when he was small able ball to, five and he, he was able to? He's still able to. That's not true because he has to do more offensively. More offensively than Kevin Durant? No, I'm saying Kevin Durant. This is who he's talking about. Kevin Durant has to do more now that he's on the Nets offensively, and he can't commit himself to defense. KD was awesome this year defensively. Was he awesome defensively against the Nets? I understand that maybe one— I mean, excuse me, against the Celtics? I think he was good defensively. I think that Against that Cavaliers game, I think Cavaliers game, was he great defensively? I think that one play where— he is caught looking at Jason Tatum going to the basket in game one, has skewed everybody's thought process on how good of a defender he is, but he's still a he's a great defender, and he's on the same tier as Tatum as a defender. In fact, he's not. if Tatum, Tatum, I think he's a better on-ball defender, For sure. he's not the help defender Kevin Durant is. Kevin Durant's a better help defender. He has a better rim-protecting presence than Tatum. He has a little bit more size to him. Yeah, because he's seven foot, and in go to state, he played a small ball five. He was able to be that rim protector for them in those years. Because so, he was on the greatest team ever organized. I know. You're, you're using all these little subtle things to discredit Kevin Durant. It's just But I'm facts. just saying he's, he's an elite defender. He's on a defender. team finally again where he needs to be the best player and he hasn't accomplished anything. It's just the truth. I mean, it's it's easy to say that when last year Kyrie gets hurt, James Harden gets hurt, and he has last to now backpack. Last year he was great, for sure. And he has to now backpack. So let, let's just, I mean... You're talking about KD not getting you one game against Boston? Get me one. I'm not asking for a series win. Get me one game. I hold the Milwaukee series into higher regard because he was able to take that to seven. And that that series should have never went seven with the amount of injuries the Nets have. I mean, they went up 2-0. Like the Celtics. So they should have lost in six. The Celtics almost lost to the Bucs without Middleton. Because Giannis is the best player in the world. He was the best player in the world last year, too. You think so? Yeah. So Kevin Durant took that team to seven. Good for him. He was great. So I'm saying the same thing that Tatum did with Have this certain team. Have I said once that, that Katie wasn't great last the year? The same thing. T- Tatum took that same team to seven this playoffs with an injured Middleton. Katie took them to seven while Middleton being there. And Tatum in game six had, and playing, had a legacy and, and averaging like 24, 26 a game. Tatum game six had a legacy performance on the road, took it yeah. to game seven, yeah. and closed it out in, in TD. Every game last year in the playoffs versus the Bucks, Katie had a legacy performance. He was amazing. It, it seems like he was amazing. Much. No doubt. He Every was game he had legacy performance. They went up 2-0 when Kyrie Irving was healthy. Yeah. 
you, you want to know, KD was so great last year that it's actually a debate that he was just as good as Giannis. I think he was even better than Giannis last year. Nobody's debating Teddy was better than Giannis in this in the series. Nobody. Giannis was by far the better player in the series. And the same by thing. By far? Yes, by far. Giannis uh, was by far the best player in the Celtics series strong. this year. And Jimmy Butler strong. was by far because the best seven, player Giannis, in the Celtics series in the East Conference Game finals. seven, Giannis laid an egg. And have Tatum was have you noticed that? That, that's actually crazy. What? So Tatum, the past two rounds in the second round in the Eastern Conference Finals, he hasn't been the best player. It's been Giannis and Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's outperformed Tatum in the Eastern Conference Finals too. Listen, down the stretch of that game, and uh, now in the finals, Steph is better. It's three straight series. Tatum's not the best. Listen, stop him. <laughs> Beat him. They are. The Warriors going to win. I, I, listen, you got to hope so at this point. The Warriors because then win. you're just going to hear me chirp. You have high hopes for the Celtics. I do. You've made this uh um there's this character art going with you right now, right? <laughs> People don't like they don't love it. They you're don't. a you're a lifelong Lakers fan. Hey, always read the bio. You're a Jalen Brown fan. I listen, Jalen Brown. And you're Brown, rooting for the Celtics. I've, I've, listen, I've been a fan of Jalen Brown since before Jalen Brown let the world know that he is him. And I'm not rooting for the Celtics. I pick the Celtics. There's a difference. As an analyst, you have to make a decision. It's simple. I believe the Celtics are the best team in the NBA. That's it. You're riding with your pick. That's fair. That right? I'm not saying let's go Celtics. I'm throwing on a hat. No, I I believe well, that they're gonna win. You do that anyway. If that's how it's it's perceived, so you're not rooting for the Celtics. There's no reason to root for anyone. I have no ins. Of course, in this you're rooting for the Celtics. You want them to win, so your take is right. I mean, if that's how you want to see it, that's sure. rooting. That's exactly what it is. I guess, but I'm not like fanboying over it. If they lose, I'm gonna. You said you would make a Jalen Brown okay. fan account. Listen, Jalen Brown's a different story. <laughs> that's. That's You're a different Jason story. Tatum is going to be top five. But that's, a, I mean, I'm just speaking facts. Again, I'm calling it how I see it. This Celtics team in these finals, there is a little bit of a similarity with the 2012 NBA finals where the Celtics are a young team. They're facing a much more experienced team in the Golden State Warriors. And in 2012, OKC faced a much more experienced team in the Miami Heat. Now, do you think the Celtics could become what we always thought OKC would have been had they stayed together, are they on a similar trajectory or is this not a comparison? OKC is just far better. I don't know if it's a comparison. I feel like the talent of OKC offensively was is significantly better than that of the Celtics. Where you had Kevin Durant, who in the finals of that 2012 season, averaged 30 points. Russell Westbrook was still an elite player at that time. Or excuse me, that was when he was ascending to showing the world that he is elite and a top 75 player of all time. James Harden was finally putting his name on the map where he won sixth man of the year. The differences between these two teams is defensively, where one was an offensive juggernaut, the Celtics are a defensive juggernaut. So that's why it's hard for me to look at these two teams and see some type of similarities, other than the fact that, yes, they're both y- that they were both young, they're ascending to, to championship aspirations, but the Celtics have, have been having championship aspirations for a few years now where Jason Tatum has been in the league and he's been into the conference finals three of those four years. I could be wrong on that, the the number specifically, but the Celtics have been prominent in at least competing for the the, the championship where their, their main key is defense. And that's where I feel like there's a disconnect between the two, where offensively it's not a conversation, but defense wins championships, especially when you have two guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that can still carry the load offensively with key role players that hit big-time shots. I feel like this is a team built for longevity as opposed to OKC where 
defensively they would have had to figure it out, and they didn't. They Even in 2016 where they had a 3-1 lead against the Warriors, they couldn't get it done because defensively they needed to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a little bit weird also. I mean, it's I mean it's so ridiculous looking back at this team because Kevin Durant was younger in this finals than Jason Tatum is now. And he was we know, a, he was amazing. We know how much we talk about Jason Tatum's age and everything, but for them to have Westbrook, he's nineteen, bro. What are you talking and about? And Durant at twenty three years old in that finals, it just I mean it's such a shame that they just fell apart and weren't able to ever get back there. One of the worst trades is James Harden leaving for for who, what was his name? Ken, uh, Kevin, was, Martin. Uh, Kevin Martin. There it is. Yeah. He was a good player though. He, no, he was. He definitely was a good role player, but. It's clearly, we see how hindsight is. Yeah, it's amazing what James Harden became right after that. Once he got into that offense and just was able to have his own franchise, be him exactly. Yeah, yeah I, it's just it, it is strange. I think Drew's comparison is right, where it's one offensive team versus one defensive team. I just think it's also looking at the finals. The Warriors are an established dynasty. We know that LeBron was looking for his first championship against this team. So it's interesting to see. You know, one team run into a dynasty. Fair point. Versus one team run into LeBron. Obviously, wasn't all time great at that time too. But running into a team that was so hungry for their first championship at the time, also. So again, it just uh, if what what would have happened if Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook won a championship this year? Um, you know, who knows what would have unfolded then? But I don't know. I don't know if we see for the comparison to work. I think Kevin Durant has to be Jason Tatum. Which is not, you know, horribly off, but Jalen Brown is not Russell Westbrook, so I don't know. I, I don't. And think, there's no James Harden, right? And there's no James Harden, so I don't know. I, I think it's a little, you know, maybe a little off. I, I think maybe we can try and come up with a better comparison, but you know, we'll see. I think there are a lot of good comparisons when talking about these two teams. I think they're both young, up and coming teams that are are facing experienced teams in the finals now. And OKC when they made the finals that year in 2012. Everybody thought this is the first of many. This core is going to stay together. They're here so young. It's only natural. They're going to win multiple championships together. It's similar with Boston. You know, the Celtics, we all view them as this young team that has finally figured it out after multiple hardships together. But this could very well be their one and only finals appearance appearance in how many years? Like, it's not a guarantee you're going to be back. That? What leads you to believe that? Well, what leads me to believe that is that I don't think the Nets are going anywhere. I think the Nets are going to bounce back. They I got think, work to do. I think the Miami Heat are going to trade for a big time. I'm with you there. Score this offseason. I'm with you there. And we know, I feel like that's what Miami is missing. And Giannis and the Bucks are not going anywhere. Fine. So because of that, I just, the East is hard. It's tough. So you name me three teams, one that's a question mark. Three no teams doubt. are a lot. That means you're going to have to face one of them in the first round. Philadelphia is also we got to see. That's a wait and see. I agree with that. Especially if, if, if you're going to name the Nets, you, comes you, you have to name Philadelphia. Absolutely. You think so? Yes. Yes. The Nets are. They just a got swept. Fire They're right the now. only team to get swept in this NBA playoffs. I'm not taking too much stock into that. I'll be really, honest. even though they were horrible. No, I'm not taking too much stock into that. I feel like there's going to be a new team. I feel like. I, first thing I would do is fire Steve Nash, but that's for another day. Now I have a question. Are, is this scenario that you're, you're talking about that the Celtics lose, right? You're saying that if they lose, there's a chance they never go back. Well, yeah, with this core. So can I ask you, if they win, right? Let's live in this yeah. world for a second. If they win, you're telling me there's not a chance that they can continue to go back? There's They'll a have chance. have that playoff confidence, but that's that the championship it's the same thing with It's the same thing with the Bucs. The Bucs won last year. Mm-hmm. There's a chance the Bucs don't reach the finals in, house in so many years. You know, I don't know. Like, it's just it's hard to reach the finals, and that's yeah, why sure. there aren't teams that do it so often. 
we have gotten we've witnessed a lot of anomalies sure. with Cleveland and Golden State. But for the most part, teams don't repeatedly just keep going back and back and back to the finals. I mean, it's especially like an, if they don't have one of those me. top three, top four players in the NBA that's going to lead them there. I was going to say, if out. history has shown us anything, it seems as if those top three players in the NBA, like you stated, do make it to the NBA Finals consecutively. LeBron, the Golden State Warriors, and the, the dynasty that they've made. Even go back a little bit beforehand. The Lakers, the Spurs. You still had the the, the Chicago Bulls. Then in the 80s, the Lakers, the Celtics. If history has shown us anything, if you get that elite player, that 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 difference maker, you can make it year after year to the finals. It's possible. Yeah, I was going to say, for the past like 40 years, we've seen the NBA has been a dynasty league. You listed all of them. I don't need to do it again. But the question then becomes, do we think the Celtics are going to become a dynasty from here on out? It depends on and if they I, win this. I don't think so, personally. They have the pieces to be it because their main thing is defense. And on top of it, they still have a great score, an elite scorer in Jason Tatum. And Jalen Brown, who's a really damn good scorer as well, with a bunch of role players that can hit jump shots. And in this NBA, that's all you really need. I think the Celtics are more so a team that has figured it out at the right time. I don't view them as a dynasty, though. I don't view them as a di- I don't view them as a potential dynasty. I think they're they young should, as hell. They're young, but I mean, you look at this. I mean. Tatum is 23. Brown is 25. 24. Tatum's 24. 24 mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. At the start of the season, he was 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. KD in the finals, 2012, 23. Westbrook, 23. Harden, 22. Ibaka, 22. Right, the, they didn't, they didn't it. make it. They weren't a dynasty. They still went to the Western Conference Finals a few times. No, they, I know. They still were contenders. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's not just a given. You are going oh, no, back I don't disagree. There, I don't even disagree. with the talent. I don't disagree. We know that there's not a Harden on this Boston team. Which is why mm-hmm. there's not a Harden on this Boston team. You think Marcus? You're right. Harden there's a Jason Harden? Tatum. No, I know, but oh, the six man. I apologize. Yes, yeah. I mean yeah, not yeah, only yeah, that. I'm, I'm just talking about third best player. Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no there's... you got KD Westbrook, but there's no Harden on this Boston team. I don't disagree. The at reason all. why OKC wasn't able to be a dynasty is because they didn't have that big three to complete those those that that trio or the defensive the Celtics. Prowess. The Celtics don't have a big three. They have two guys, then a bunch of role players. But you don't necessarily need that third guy if you're to be a dynasty. You do not necessarily. What dynasties have had two, and, that, and that's it. Well, the Bulls, the Bulls. Yeah. But even then, it's like the MJ, Scotty, Rodman. Three. No, the first three, you're 100 percent right. The second three, you have to throw Rodman as that third. Okay, I think. I mean, people will consider MJ and Pippen a duo more than they'll loop in Absolutely. Rodman. Absolutely, I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. However, for the first run. First go around, I I'm with you 100. Just look at the dynasties of the past 20 year 20 years. Spurs, Duncan, Manu, four. Parker. Yeah, Kawhi, but that first championship they won was David Robinson and David Robinson and, and, Duncan. and Duncan. Yep, they and faced Co- Shaq and Kobe. That was two. They faced the Knicks though. I'm saying that Shaq and Kobe was two. Okay, um, they faced those Spurs. That Spurs team faced the Knicks though with no Patrick Ewing mm-hmm. and the Knicks team that overachieved. They were the eighth seed and made it to the finals. But even still, they won. You still got. I win. know, but still, like that wasn't an elite level team. But the Spurs, Parker, Ginobili, Duncan, Their dynasty was now built Kawhi's off the three. Even the Miami Heat team that LeBron went to. I know we don't consider it a dynasty because they underachieved to their standards. They won two championships. It's a dynasty. They made the finals over and over. They they, they went four straight years. They did underachieve, though. For for everyone's expectations, yes. Yeah. I don't disagree. LeBron, Bosh, Wade. Underachieved and still won two championships. 
Like that's well, the best underachieving you'll ever see. When you're saying not seven, not I know, eight, of course. That's why that's it's underachieving. Happens, yeah. I I agree with you guys. Yeah, and also that they they lost the first finals they were favored in. No doubt. That's also the only bit. finals that they were favored in. And then you look at um the Warriors, Clay, Steph, Draymond, and then you add in KD. I feel like Dynasty's it's three players. And if it's if it's two, it's because those two are both top five, seven ish players, which I don't think Jalen Brown will ever crack the top ten. Ever? No. If he learns how to handle the ball, I don't think he'll crack. Yo, the top he is 10. like that. Jalen Brown's top like that. 10 top players. ten strong. Top ten strong. I'm not going to say you're wrong. And he could be a top so, fifteen. So to get to he top, could be top fifteen. So to get to top five ish, where the Celtics now have two of the top players in the league, I just don't see it. As long as they keep their role players and their depth defensively, it's possible. That depth features Al Horford, who's thirty six. That that piece hurts, but and that's the guy that you had as the fifth best player in the playoffs. Dude, he's been amazing. In the playoffs? And when the, did this happen? Oh, no, this is a while. I just threw him in there because then I had an agenda, of course. Yeah. And no one was going to respect Al Horford, so I had to. He's overachieved for the playoffs. Oh, my goodness. I'll That's an understatement. There. Yeah. For sure. Al Horford's <laughs> been awesome. <laughs> nah, that's crazy. No, we didn't include any first-round guys. We didn't include any second-round guys. This is what? what this, was, this was going finals? into round three, yeah. This was going into round three. The whole three. Playoffs? The conference finals. I mean, you could say that there's, I mean, there's three players on the Warriors better than him. I Two players Curry. on his own team. I was gonna better say, than I, had, I had Curry <laughs> I, on a Mavericks. No, but even still, Brunson I, and Luca. I put I put Curry. No, I don't. I think I put Curry, Luca, Giannis, Jimmy, Al Horford. So you didn't even put Tatum on the list. I definitely had Tatum on there. I can't remember off the top of my head to be honest with you. And if he didn't have Tatum, if he did have Tatum, he didn't have Brown or Brunson. No, I didn't have Brown. or Brunson. Well, we know that it, Al Horford was not the fifth play, no, best player. No, in the of course, no. Sometimes Jaylen you Brunson. just got to get your words off. Okay, take it Jaylen easy. Brunson. Take it easy. We'll talk about them later. So the All-NBA teams were released. They were released a while ago, but we never reacted to it. So the first team was Luka, Booker, Tatum, Giannis, Jokic. Second team, Steph, Ja, DeMar, KD, Embiid. And third team, Trey, Chris Paul, LeBron, Pascal, and Kat. Which one of these teams did you disagree with? What are your reactions to the All-NBA teams, the selections? Uh, I want to hear your thoughts. So, every player that made this All-NBA list, I predicted that they would make the list. But it was just different teams that they were selected to. One thing I will say is I do feel bad for Joel Embiid. It, it really is unfortunate that he finished in second place in MVP votes. And he's not making a first team. However, we're going to talk about it later. But just to give a quick snippet of what I'm going to say, if you're not the best player at your position... It's just kind of how it goes, in my opinion. Yes, you are amazing. You finished in second place. There should be a spot for you, but the way that it's formatted right now, you weren't the best of your position. That's really what it comes down to. Um, but I do I do feel for him. It's really unfortunate at this point where he has been an amazing ball player for two seasons in a row, and he's just come up short of these these big accolades. Uh, but other than that, I really didn't have any, too many too many gripes with the list. Uh, initially, I was bitter that LeBron wasn't on the second team, but then you realize that they took into account where these other guys finished, as in KD's team was a playing team, DeMar DeRozan, where these these three had similar statistics, but ultimately these guys' teams finished higher than LeBron's, and LeBron's didn't even make the play-in. So for LeBron to make it, uh, LeBron making it was a lock for sure, but understanding that they took winning into a little bit more consideration. I'm fine with it. So ultimately, I really don't have too many issues other than it's unfortunate for Joel Embiid. Yeah, the one thing I will say, and I want to get you guys' thoughts on how you feel about winning being considered for the All-NBA teams, but 
I think the one snub you can really look to, I don't really disagree with much more than this, but I think if you're going to consider winning, maybe you should put Jimmy Butler on at least the third team That's because true. he got the number one seed in the East. I mean, I think most of us consider the East to be the better conference this year also. So I feel like getting the one seed there and he had very comparable stats. I think you would take off Siakam from the one from the third team. Would you take off Chris Paul? Uh, what did he make? Well, third team. you can't. Why yeah. not? I mean, who you who you put in, putting on? Because Jimmy's a forward, I think we would. We would say. Oh, he's listed as a forward. Yeah, yeah, he is. Oh, I would list Jimmy. I, I wouldn't be mad if they listed him as guard. I don't know. It's it's what you get as many votes as. Yeah, so I think I would replace uh, Siakam with Jimmy if if you're considering winning. But in my opinion, I don't even know if you should consider winning for the All NBA team. I agree. I, I think stats. I mean, stats are not everything. Yada yada. But I feel like you're even if you have a terrible season as a team, you're playing with terrible players. If this is the case. You can still have a season that's worthy of a first, second, or third All NBA team, in my opinion. I don't think uh, winning should really, you know, be considered too much in that aspect. MVP is different. MVP is its own thing, but for first, second, and third team, I think winning should be kind of out the door, and it should be stats only. So I'm glad Embiid was second team because if this is a team and we're going off positions. Yes, there's only one guy that's at the top of the position. That's Nikola Jokic. I've said it on the show before. The gap between Jokic and Embiid is the gap between Curry and Dame. That's the gap. Jokic is a far that. That is this just better a, player. Such a bad it's, not comparison. Even, it's not even close. It's not close. Is it's wrong. not. It's not close. It's wrong. You tell Embiid to make the conference finals, then we can talk. Tell Jokic to start playing the defense that Embiid plays, and then I can have the conversation of not close. Well, that defense he's played hasn't gotten to the conference finals, so it doesn't matter. Because that's really on him. It is. It is on him. If Jamal Murray wasn't in the bubble with Jokic, he's not making the the, the conference finals either. Jokic was better than Jamal Murray. It doesn't matter. Really, you believe that? What in that yes. bubble? You believe that Jokic? You tell me, because you've been the one that tell me that that Jamal Murray is the best playoff performer you've seen of recent memory. He's one of the best I have seen. Nikola, they, they couldn't, side, man. they couldn't Pick double, te- they couldn't double team Jokic because they couldn't double team Jokic because he was such a great passer. Come on, man. He was eating let him know, hair let him know. It's all over the place. What are you talking Pick about? Pick a side. You told me Jamal Murray. That's, are you serious? No, no. You told me Jamal Murray. I never told you Jamal Murray is better than Jokic no, in the playoffs. No. And that. That one playoff no, run, you did no. tell me that. No, I do no not. Doubt. No doubt. You're lying. Bro, no, I'm not lying because you told no, me you flat are to my face that Jamal Murray is one of the best player performers you've I ever seen. I didn't say he's better than Jokic. I didn't say he performed better. In that better. bubble, yes, I didn't say did. he performed better than Jokic. No, I did not. Bro. All right, fine. Why are you fine, chatting? Fine. Maybe I'm chatting, did but this, I like to take my memory. Did this pod exist during the bubble? No, but we no, had conversations. No, I wasn't here. Somebody, I wasn't here. No, exactly. Find the footage. Where? How many times have we had the conversation afterwards of you telling me? I've been high on Jokic since the bubble. I'm not, I'm not saying you have No, no, no. Literally. I'm just no, no. saying for, for the, you've for the, propped Jamal Murray's But I've never said that. I wish River's here because he would deny your statement. No, he would not. Yes, he would. No, he would not because that's a, him and I that's a ridiculous, sat here that's a ridiculous and had this conversation. No, it's not. That's a ridiculous it, accusation. No, ac- accusation. However, no, it is not the truth be, that, that Riv would defend you because him and I sat here and we asked if you really felt that way over if Jamal Murray's one of the best performers, no, no. you you even went as far to say the best. All right, so if you want to just, I'm just just saying. because I said that you want to say because now, of the bubble. So and that's what I'm saying. I, so if I said that, that all of a sudden means that I think he's better than Jokic. No, in the playoffs in that in that particular playoff run. Mm. 
Which is Riv, what I was saying. Riv was also, we'll get the confirmation sooner rather than later. Facts, facts. Um, and if I'm wrong, hey, man, I shake Riv, your hand. You Riv, know me. Oh, yeah, okay. You know uh, me. Riv, Riv also was the person that during the bubble told me to my face when we sat here and did the podcast okay. that Rudy Gobert can lock up Jokic and he's seen him do it. <laughs> You didn't have to do him like no, that. No, I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You wanted to take some but heat people, off you. But you people, did him dirty. No, no, I'm saying. But people can go back and look at the footage. As high as I am on Jokic now, I was high on him back then. I be, I'm not I've saying you no, were Jokic has been my guy. Well, have I ever said that he was low on Jokic? No. All I've no. said, All I've said is that Jamal Murray, while he's not an all-star in the regular season, he's a superstar level playoff performer. So you, Superstar so level platform. So with that being said, you're saying still Jokic was better than Jamal Murray yes, in the bubble. because Nikola Jokic is elite. I don't, he is oh, well, you're the not top wrong. of the top. You're not wrong. The best of the best. You're not wrong, but you still, you're still standing on that he was better than Jamal Murray. Yes. With that, now question. Without in Jam- the Utah series, there's the debate. Okay. Thank but you. even then, it was high pick and rolls with Jokic the entire time that they were running. Uh-huh. Um, but Jamal Murray had what? Had a 40-point and 50-point game in that series? It was ridiculous. But was versus ridiculous. the Clippers, he did not have... A better series than Jokic. He did not have a better series. Than no, Jokic. Joel's right. He didn't. You just oh, looked it up. I'm looking at the numbers. Okay, right good. Now. Utah series is the debate, no Utah. Though. He was the amazing. Utah one, but not not the Clippers one. Fair enough, because they all. didn't have a big to defend against. And Jokic. then the Lakers one, he wasn't absolutely so, at all. But look, I agree with these all NBA teams. Joel Embiid, if he wants to be first team, be better than Jokic. I know he's not going to be able to, but <laughs> that's that's what you got to do. You get rude when you talk about in terms about Joel. of. Uh, the teams, though, every player, like you said, that was originally, that made it, I had on. The only difference is that, for one, my first team was correct. The order they have it in, that was my first team. The second team, I had Trey Young over Steph Curry, and I had LeBron James over DeMar DeRozan. And that's the only changes I would make. I think Trey Young, this year, based on the regular season, deserves that second team over Steph Curry. And I think LeBron, just leading league in scoring pretty much, uh, deserves it over Demar Derozan, but I understand why Demar is second team. I understand. Me it. too. Me too. And I the same. It. And the same with Curry. I understand it too because they did. It seems as if I don't know if they did or not. It seems as if winning played a factor. Even though LeBron and KD both played fifty six games. No, for sure. And but KD made second team he, because he made it to at least the plane. LeBron didn't make it. Yeah. Now Adam Silver this week went on a press conference. It was like forty minutes long. And talked about a, a bunch of different things within the NBA stratosphere. Talked about all NBA selections and making that positionless. So we don't have these types of debates, right? Between Jokic and Embiid. So everybody can get a participation trophy. Uh, he also talked about shortening the season, league expansion, a midseason tournament, and a couple other things. You know, what are your thoughts first on the positionless all NBA selections? And the other things like shortening of the season, midseason tournaments, and all that other good stuff. So I said a little bit earlier, I am under the belief that for the years and years that this has been applied, there has been players that maybe were deserving a first team, but were not necessarily the best at their position. That's a credit to those that actually were the best at their position. Tim Duncan, Shaquille O'Neal. There's... There's still some way where I understand it, where this is the first time where I'm feel I'm really not picking a side because I'll be honest. I like the fact that for if you're gonna keep it the way that it's been forever, keep it that way. Because then it's unfair to those that that missed out on first teams if they were gonna use this positionless way. However, I understand that life's evolving, right? Life's ever changing, especially the NBA. The NBA is always evolving. 
where now in this new NBA that we have, it really is fluid in the sense of the different positions that these players can 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 showcase. You have a guy like Jokic that can run the floor. You have a guy like Carl Anthony Towns that can stretch the floor and, and shoot from beyond the arc as good as a guard can. So I understand the the argument behind allowing these players to be fluid in the sense of their position. River and I have been under the same agreement that if they're going to move forward, it needs to just be the best five, followed by the next best five, followed by the next best five. However, for history, for years and years of years, it's been if you are the best player at your position, you win the award. And I feel like that is the most fair for an all-NBA team. Yeah, originally I said, yes, they should change it for that reason because the NBA is increasingly becoming more and more positionless. It you know the p- different positions you you could argue that, but now going through it, I think they should not change it because I think it lets us know as fans, as people who evaluate the game, how these players stacked up against others at their position. Hundred percent. It's important to know that it, you know these players are on a different tier than the players that were under them at that same position. So I think for for legacy's sake, just for you know evaluating these players, I think having them go head-to-head against each other at the same position is a more fair way to rank the players and evaluate them and set up these tiers in the NBA where we know that this player, if they had this many first-team selections, they were the best center in the NBA or the best point guard in the NBA for that stretch of time. So for me, I think they should keep it the way it is just to allow those tiers to form and to allow each player to to you know be properly slotted into the best at their position. I think that's the more fair way to go about it. I agree. Um, I want to know where people stack up against players at their position. With that being said, I'm all for it with players that are actually positionless. With this Embiid case, we know he's a center. He's not a power forward. He's not a small forward. He's not a shooting guard. He's not a, he's not a point guard. He's a center. But when we talk about LeBron, he could be listed at forward. Absolutely. He could be listed at guard. One but five. Jimmy Butler, Correct. he could be listed at guard. Mm-hmm. For that, I feel like you can use that type of, you can put that type of asterisk next to it and say, okay, LeBron could make it over a guard because he basically plays point guard for his team, whether they log him in at small forward or not. He's the one handling sure. those responsibilities. But for Joel Embiid, he's a center. I want to see how you match up against other centers. That's why I disagree with that part of it. But in terms of other guys, like we see the Lucas, we see the LeBrons, even I guess like... Um, you don't think not, that you could associate Joel Embiid with a dominant power forward? No. Not no. at all? I can't. I can't. He's uh, a center. He stretches the floor. Tobias he still Harris handles plays the, the ball. Tobias Harris plays the floor. Yes, but there's times where Tobias isn't on the floor. No, I understand, but... Embiid is a center, and they're running. There is no. They're, they're he's running, not a uh, tweener. DeAndre Jordan with the Joel Embiid on like the court at the tweener, same time. A tweener that I don't think would be an All NBA player, but he can. He, that there's an exception for it. It's like a Jaron Jackson Jr. He can be a forward. He can be a center too. Evan Mobley. Yeah, Evan Mobley too. Those guys. Anthony Davis. Embiid Giannis. is fully a center in my opinion. Yeah, you're never putting a bigger player than Embiid on the court with him at the same time. DeAndre Jordan. He's not even bigger than him. I I agree, but even still, DeAndre was playing the five while Giannis was playing the four. There was moments where Giannis would, I'm excuse me, that Embiid was playing the four. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Is that accurate? I mean, I can check that there is definitely I, I times. It's, and when Embiid was on the bench, that's when they put Jordan out Let's there. Let's see. Maybe I could be wrong. 
I, right, I'll, I, look. I don't I'll know. look. If Doc Rivers put a lineup right. out there like that, that's ridiculous. I mean, would you put it past him? I wouldn't. But okay. I'll check. Ridiculous. I'll check while you go on. It, oh, for sure. For sure. Um, but, but because MB can space the floor, it allows things like that to occur. Adam Silver also talked about like expansion. I think it's bound to happen. The oh, next yeah. team I think we're going to expand to, the NBA is going to expand to Seattle, Seattle, Las Vegas, also another one, and a midseason tournament. I, the WNBA already does a midseason tournament. I actually caught it on the other day. It's like it's brand new. And the way it works is that um, it's called the Commissioner's Cup. And the top East and West teams play against each other for a $500,000 prize, which I don't think any NBA player yeah, is, you know, breaking their back for that type of money. But obviously in the NBA, it would be far more. And the players of the winning team receive $30,000. Runner-ups receive 10000 And the MVP gets $5,000 in this midseason commissioner cups tournament. Now, will the NBA implement something like this? I have no idea, but I frankly don't know how they would go about a midseason tournament. Where would the stoppage be? Where do they play? It's just, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, I don't know. There's a lot of gray area and I don't know how they would execute that type of plan. Yeah. It seems like it's not needed. Like what does it do? If anything, I would say if you're going to have a midseason tournament, it should impact the standings in some way, the playoffs in some way. It should have weight in terms of the game, not in a, not just money, because in the WNBA that might work when you know they don't get paid as much. But in the NBA, no player is really, like you said, going after that kind of money. So I just think it should impact the standings in some way yep. instead. Like I've heard ideas about how you see how colleges, they have the conference tournaments, like the Big East tournament, the Pac-10 tournaments or whatever. Um, they were talking about doing that with the NBA, but I just don't think they're going to be able to do it. You know, we don't want to see an Atlant an Atlantic Southeast tournament. We already have an Eastern Conference championship and a Western Conference championship. So I feel like the plan tournament was kind of like the peak of what they can do. Absolutely. If they think of anything else, I really have a hard time thinking of how it's going to work. I don't think it's necessary. I think that me as a fan of basketball... The All-Star Game's enough. That is one of the most entertaining, non-serious games that there is outside of, obviously, that, that are truly entertaining to the eye. You have the playoffs, for me personally, of every sport. Right after that, I love, I love the NBA All-Star Game. It's just so entertaining to see these guys, the new format that they've done where you now have the two leading vote-getters on each side draft a team and... They take it very seriously. That, as is, draws attention, draws eyes, brings brings more revenue to the league. I think that adding an extra tournament to the league is unnecessary. I think you already have enough series in the playoffs to entertain people. The The, the playoffs go on from, what, it, late April to, to mid-June. It, it seems unnecessary, and I feel like it's just a money grab. And what do you think about the short season? I don't like it at all either. Like it either. Because if you if you look at it from the sense of history, right, which is the only thing you should be doing, now we're we're never ever going to see a team top the the seventy three team uh, seventy three one Warriors. Uh, we're, we're never going to see a, a, another player just uh, assume uh, excuse me to to get the accolades of points or assists or, or just anything like like that. I think that for history's sake, you need to keep it at eighty two. Yeah, I feel like it's just making the NBA softer. Like you're, you're not so true. You're also, not, you're not rewarding the longevity of these players that play seventy five games, absolutely eighty plus games a year. 
So I feel like you're just doing that to to compensate for the injuries and to compensate for like the Kyrie Irvings and the Durants that you know don't play back to backs and don't aren't, forget Kawhi aren't there all the time. Um, so I feel like that's that's that would be the reason for it. But they've already eliminated the uh, what is it like the three games in four nights, all that all the crazy scheduling stuff that they yeah. used to have even like five years ago. So I think um, it would just be to to limit the injuries, which I think it should you should reward players for playing the. The full 82 games. Definitely. I agree. I I feel like if it's not a shortened season, it should be more rest. Because Adam Silver's even said it that there is not there is not a uh, uptick in injuries based on how far the season goes. They have found data though on injuries happening because of back to backs and playing repeatedly. So I think more rest works and you can keep the 82 game format. But if they do want to shorten it, I wouldn't be totally against it if players are not going to load manage. Like if players, if there's a deal in the collective bargain agreement that players won't sit nights off if the if the season gets shortened, let's say 10 to 15 games, then I think it's fine. But if the league gets shortened and you still have players taking off nights off, then I think it, it just leads to a bigger problem. My, my thing is you this gets minimized. It gets minimized that Jordan played a full season nine times. It gets minimized that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played a full season five times, Kobe four times, Hakeem Olajuwon four times, Larry Bird three times, LeBron one time. You need to appreciate stuff like that. Playing a full season is insane. 82 games is a grueling season. I'm very conscious of that. But it is a huge achievement to do so. Yeah. Now, this week in the NBA, Will, I'll start with you. All right, my this week in the NBA is going to be Stephen A. Smith's back and forth with Kevin Durant. Facts. You can also talk about Skip Bayless in there as well. But this all started when Stephen A. was on first take, and he talked about Michael Jordan and how Michael Jordan made the NBA worse. And he was saying that Jordan was such a superstar and such an individualized player that the NBA went in the direction of marketing the individual, marketing the superstar and the star player. And... He argued that that made the NBA worse because it took away from from teams, from certain fandoms. I think that's a ridiculous opinion. Just absolutely, just very, very bad. Just with that. But then KD quote tweets the clip of Stephen A. saying that, and he says, "My theory is that guys like Stephen A., Skip, and Shannon have changed the game for the worse, meaning the the media game, and that uh, people like Stephen A. or pe- people like Steph Curry and Michael Jordan can only push the game forward." And then Stephen A. replies to that, saying, news for you, KD, we ain't going any damn place. For every Stephen A. skip and Shannon, there's thousands more coming down the pike. We're not going away. We multiply. Sorry. So KD still going at people on Twitter and social media. Um, I think Stephen A. is right. I think not with the, with the Michael Jordan point, but that, well, okay, I'll say this. Stephen A. and Skip have made the media game a little bit worse in terms of it's a hot take culture. The yelling and screaming and, and Stephen A-esque things tend to go viral and carry weight on social media more than a very educated opinion or like a slow, more statistical-based opinion. But, I mean, Stephen A is right in terms of there's more coming down the pike. We're not going away. And it just seems like Kevin Durant's just fishing for more more entertainment on social media. I mean, you could argue that Kevin Durant is a product of the Stephen A. Smith era because he's always on Twitter. 
He's always going at people on social media. I feel like he kind of almost in his social media ways fits the mold of a Stephen A or a Skip. So it just KD continuing to have beef with people. Um, I kind of wish he wouldn't do that. I kind of wish he would just let his game speak for for itself. But I don't know. There's so many layers there with the Michael Jordan thing and the and the Stephen A. Skip thing. I mean, I love Kevin Durant and. Love? I actually, yes, I love Kevin Durant. Right. I actually watched his David Letterman interview on Netflix. For sure, it was great. Where I heard he that talked, was good. Yeah, where he talked about, you know, talked about weed and mm-hmm. he told David Letterman, you know, I'm high right now. That was hilarious. Was that like, was hilarious. I'm high right now. But it does also speak volumes to, there's so many people that live casually, just naturally high off marijuana, for yeah. lack of a better term, and they're able to function like normal human beings. And, and that's how I view Kevin Durant. I view him as a normal human being who just so happens to be very good and gifted at basketball. The reason why I don't like Stephen A's response is because it was a very arrogant response. It was. Because w- without guys like Kevin Durant to cover, then Stephen A would not be Stephen A. Like he ultimately, this the world works in this way where we all need each other, right? Whatever you do, we all need each other. In order to talk about basketball, we need basketball players. In order to, um, in order to be ele- an electrician, you have to have somebody have a problem with electricity in their house. Like everything goes coincide together. Yeah. Everything goes hand in hand. Because of that, I don't know why Stephen A. acts as if like he is above. Like, oh, we're not going any damn place. Like we're here to stay. Like I just, we I don't know, like we, it. We know why. We know why. I don't. Look, the reason why I started the Pick Aside podcast two and a half years ago was because I hated mainstream media. I hated First Take. I hated Undisputed. I hate these mainstream shows. Uh, do I watch them from time to time? Yes, it's entertaining. I don't dislike these people. I just don't like the shows because I feel as if they aren't talking about basketball. Like, for example... They're talking about um, narratives. Like That's for, what they talk For example, about. I'll just mention this. And this was going to be... the. I have a couple this week in the NBA. Yeah, you know yeah, me. nothing new. I always Bastard. have a couple. Uh, but today I was watching The Herd, right? And the first topic on his show was about the NBA Finals. Sure. Not once did I hear about the role players struggling. Not once did I hear about how Golden State went from, from zone to man in game two. You want to know what the take was? The take was, I don't know if Jason Tatum has the confidence to win the win a championship. I don't know if he's Kobe-esque or Jordan-esque. And I'm just like, that was your takeaway from game two? That that Jason Tatum lacks the confidence. The player who was the best player on the Celtics lacks the confidence. He doesn't have Jalen Brown confidence. You know, look at Jalen Brown. He has confidence. And then I was watching the show for 10 more minutes because I was just watching. It was in the background. And then he goes on to say, in a Draymond Green segment about how he might be the most important player in the series and how, oh, John Wall has never made a teammate better. Russell Westbrook has never made a teammate better. Draymond makes everybody he plays with better. And then not too long ago, I think a week ago, Colin ranked Draymond Green as the 16th best player in the past 20 years in the NBA. He's not even top 20 currently. So the fact that he's top 16 in the past 20 years, to me, is pretty ridiculous. Right now, Twitter's having a field day with the John Wall clip. You have a bunch of people coming at him. And I feel like it's warranted. 
because John Wall got Marcin Gortat paid. He got Otto Porter Jr., a base, basically a max contract. Bradley Beal has stated on the record John Wall made him better. Son of a bitch. Bradley Beal has stated on the record that John Wall has made him a better player. Russell Westbrook, Steven Adams has praised him. Oladipo has praised him. Paul George had his best season with Russell Westbrook. You look at the NBA history of, of players who averaged nine plus assists for their careers. Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, John Stockton, Kevin Johnson, John Wall, Trey Young. John Wall, to say he hasn't made anybody better is a ridiculous stance. And that's I that's I got those flashbacks, the mainstream flashbacks from what you said, because I feel like it happens. And although our show kind of gets grouped into that conversation, I feel like people who listen to the show know it's not that, especially since we don't have three hours to fill every single day to where we have to come up with ridiculous topic headlines to just spark something up. It's two times, two, three times a week. Everything that's happened currently. We talk real ball. Yeah, you you get the information of everything that happens currently. But yeah, I just thought what he said is uh was pretty uh off base. And I can't help but notice all of a sudden this Draymond Green agenda pushing since he's like the face of the volume. I don't know if I'm the only person who's noticed it, but I've noticed that. And Draymond's a fine player. You know on the show I've praised him. I've called him the most important player on multiple occasions because I think Draymond is a great player. We even spoke about it in the car. One of the greatest role players of all time, you can argue between him and Rodman. He might be the and best. Probably Draymond is the greatest role player he of all time. might be the greatest ever. But when you use Draymond as a headline to now diminish other great players just because you want to prop up Draymond, that's where I think it kind of uh, loses its uh, loses its taste, at least in my opinion. But uh, my this week in the NBA was the Hornets finalists for head coach are Mike D'Antoni and Kenny Atkinson. I like that. Mike D'Antoni makes a lot of sense, especially because LaMelo and Mike D'Antoni loves his point guards. I love very awesome to see. I love the Mike D'Antoni thing because I think LaMelo can be fully unlocked with Mike D'Antoni. But I feel like Kenny Atkinson is the perfect coach to change the culture in Charlotte. Very well said. Because Mike D'Antoni has already proven he can get you inflated regular season stats, have maybe minuscule success in the playoffs, but he can never get over the hump. Now, Kenny Atkinson has never proven it, but at least you give him a chance. And I think Kenny Atkinson, at least with what he's done with the Nets, spending time as an assistant with the Clippers to go to state, he has earned another head coaching opportunity. I'm with you. All right, so my this week in the NBA is DeAndre Ayton, and most likely he will not be returning to the Phoenix Suns. Um, Now, this is one of the more disappointing stories because he was the number one overall pick. Selected over guys like Luka Doncic, <laughs> Trey Young. And if you're the Suns, I'm sure you're punching yourself because you could have one of these two franchise-changing guys paired with a, a Devin Booker. Um, but ultimately, I I understand this because he doesn't impact the game in terms of putting their team in the best situation to win ball games, And especially for a guy who's going to demand as much money as he is, because he plays to a standard where he deserves to be paid, but not enough that if I'm a team that is already dedicating a, a ridiculous amount of money to to Chris Paul and going to be dedicating a super max contract to Devin Booker, I don't want to put myself in another situation where I have to pay a guy like DeAndre in a max contract. Now, I listed some teams where I believe that he would be a decent fit in. First team is going to be the Charlotte Hornets, a team that desperately needs a, 
a center. I feel like he would be a, a decent fit there. The Detroit Pistons with with Cade Cunningham and his development, you add another guy to to that lineup. I feel like that would be very intriguing as well. And lastly, the Toronto Raptors. Toronto Raptors were looking for a center all year, never really got it. And you bring in DeAndre in, especially a team that's not paying a guy that much money outside of Siakam and Fred, where Fred is what four eighty four million. That's nothing. So you bring in you bring in Aiden to, to solidify that starting five. That'd be intriguing. Yeah, I feel like to me DeAndre Ayton is a as a floor raiser, but not really a ceiling raiser. Very well said in terms of the way that he can play. So with those teams, I think it's interesting because their floors can definitely be raised with a great center like DeAndre Ayton. But the NBA, the way it's going, it just you don't need a, a great center to be on your team to win a championship. So it, it's rare to see guys like Embiid and those players get paid so much. Um, they have to be sort of on that level to to get that max money, but. DeAndre Ayton, he might not be worth it, but some team's going to give it to him because that's kind of just how it goes. I mean, Gobert was kind of the same way. He got crazy money just because that's how it goes. So. And Utah wasn't going to get another guy like right. that. They had to pay him. I was actually looking at a potential sign-in trade with DeAndre Ayton involving the Brooklyn Nets. That was another team. And how Kevin Durant could be involved in that type of deal. Huh? That's just what I saw. It said... Really? Look, because listen, Kyrie Irving, future Brooklyn... It's unknown. I agree. If Kyrie Irving leaves, KD is going to want out. I agree. I think it's just going to happen. Yeah. KD, maybe he looks at Phoenix like, that's a team I can go to that we can win a championship with. DeAndre Ayton could be the trade piece to go get KD. The Nets now have a young franchise center. Uh, this to is build. ugly. So DeAndre Ayton, Ben Simmons' core. Oh this then, is God. gross. And then KD goes to Phoenix and beats Golden State in the playoffs next year with D-Book and Chris Paul, and now gets his revenge for everybody saying they never needed him in the first place. And Draymond Green just called him out and said that the offense was always ran with Steph anyway. He was like, when KD was here, our offense still started with Steph. That's not that's not a shot. That's the truth. But even so, you see those little subtle jabs they throw at Kevin Durant I mean, every now and It hasn't, now been, it hasn't been subtle. It's been pretty straightforward. Yeah, they're, they keep throwing these subtle jabs yeah. at KD. And I feel like Katie's looking at that like, I just want the opportunity to go and beat them so they can finally stop talking about it. I just don't see a world where the Nets trade Kevin Durant. Unless he goes to the front office and says, get me out of here, there's no way that anyone will look at the Nets with any type of respect for the near future. Yeah, when you said trade Kevin Durant, my brain didn't even work. Exactly. Just, I was like, Wait, what? You can't. What if it's Katie for uh, DeAndre Ian, Cam Johnson... No, multiple Mikhail, first round picks. Mikhail has to be involved, also. I don't. Does he? I don't know. Does he? Yeah, I have he no does. Idea. He does. He's Kevin Durant, right? That, like that doesn't happen unless Katie wants for out. sure. No doubt. Would you do that though, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, multiple first round picks for Katie? Sun, Suns. Suns fans are right here. Like I know they're like, no, no, I love. And then they Cam. give up like Mikael Bridges, one of the best defenders like in the Claxton league. Goes. Suns fans would tell you, no, that's not a good deal. But you're getting Kevin Durant. Yeah, you're lying. You should do it. No, yeah, I think that you is. You should do that, it. That's a great deal. That's a great deal. I don't think the Nets would be too bad. Too bad. I mean, Ben Simmons, Cam Johnson, Mikel, Aiton. They would make the playoffs, but they wouldn't do anything. Would they make the playoffs? You think they would? Playing. Playing, play-in? I should say. Yeah. Yeah. The East is pretty tough. It is tough, no doubt. To secure a play in, a playoff spot is, is really hard in the East nowadays, but they could be a play-in team, like 9-10 maybe. I don't know. So some breaking news that happened was that Quinn Snyder stepped down from being the Utah Jazz's head coach. Now, on Sunday, he resigned after eight seasons with the Utah Jazz. 
Second most wins as the Jazz head coach with 372, trailing Jerry Sloan, who has 1,127. He was a long-time Jazz head coach. And where do the Jazz go from here? Where does Quinn Snyder go from here? Why do you think he decided to resign out of nowhere? Uh, we kind of saw it coming. We kind of saw a glimpse of it. But why do you think this ultimately happened? I'll tell you what. You may say we may have saw this coming. I was stunned. Because you know what? Quinn Schneider is running from the grind. And I was on the show a few weeks ago saying how if he were to entertain the idea of going to the Spurs, he's running from the grind. He has a situation where he was just the top seed in the Western Conference last season. They wildly disappointed in the playoffs, losing to to a Clippers team that did not have their best player. And then you come back this season, you underwhelm again, you don't add any type of piece that is fixing your core problem, which is the lack of perimeter defense. He lost faith in this team, and, and he is running from the grind. And it, and it disappoints me where also you have Donovan Mitchell coming out and saying that he was unsettled unsettled yeah completely taken aback by this blindsided by Quinn Schneider stepping down and listen I get it if I'm Quinn Schneider I get it the 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 front office has failed to to bring in talent to to coincide the pieces of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert And, and that duo really is weird where you have an undersized guard who is very very good at what he does but defense defense wise excuse me He's not that great because of his size. And then you can't pair him with any type of perimeter defense. And you have Rudy Gobert, who's amazing on defense, who just provides a, a just minimal offensive input. What what really was Quinn supposed to do? I'm disappointed that he is deciding to to not stick it, stick it out with these guys, especially that Donovan and Rudy are still on the squad. But now it's going to start to see pieces fall into place where now maybe we see Donovan leave. Now maybe we see teams interested in Rudy Gobert. This may be the downfall of the Utah Jazz. Yeah, it seems like it's the final nail in the coffin for the rebuild. Just because, you know, Snyder, if he knows things about the organization, if he knows things about these players, he's not going to want to coach a team that's terrible. I mean, he, he is a good coach. He's not going to get fired because he's done a good job with the organization. But if Gobert gets traded, if Mitchell gets traded... There's really nothing there for him to build off of. And I just think he's looking for a better opportunity with the head coach that he is. If he waits out a year and Popovich retires and he takes the Spurs job, I mean, you can't really fault him for it. It's not a great look for him, but I think that's probably what he's hoping to ultimately do. So to me, it just points to all the rumors we've been hearing about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. I feel like it kind of more solidifies those if he doesn't want to coach a team without those guys. I'm the biggest advocate for the Utah Jazz rebuilding. I want to get that out the way right now. Will they rebuild? They won't rebuild. I'm certain of this. It's a hunch. I thought you were a little high on on Based on what I've been reading, first of all, let me get Quinn Snyder out the way and talk about him a little bit. They have the longest um, postseason streak in the Western Conference with six straight appearances but they have never made the West Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. The Jazz, the past two years, have gone through a lot of changes. Ryan Smith is now the new owner. Danny Ainge is the president of basketball operations. And the Jazz ownership spent weeks trying to convince Snyder to stay. But ultimately, he said he had two years left on his deal, but he said that he feels like the players need a new voice in the locker room. And 
he didn't leave because of dilemmas or because of other philosophical reasons. He just feels like they need a different voice. To me, it feels a lot like Brad Stevens stepping down from the Celtics head coaching position, now going to be the pre- the, bas- the president of basketball operations, and now letting Emei Udoka be the head coach. And you can see now that the Celtics needed a new voice in the locker room. I think that's what Quinn Snyder is pointing at. But I don't think they're going into a rebuild. At first, when I saw this, I said, yeah, Quinn Snyder's leaving because he doesn't want to be a part of a bad rebuilding team, especially in a small market. But I really don't think he wants that. I think he just wants a change of scenery. I don't blame him for it. He knows this team can't win a championship. If I'm a head coach, I am not staying somewhere where I know I can't win a championship. And I've done all I can already. This Utah Jazz team has gone full circle in their play style. I mean, at first, they were just a defensive-minded team. Offense was secondary. Now they have went, they have taken this all-offense approach, and now the only thing holding their defense together is the presence of Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell described as unsettled and unnerved and wondering (laughs) what it means for the Utah Jazz's future. Personally, there have been candidates that have been released that the Jazz are looking to. Terry Stotts, Alex Jensen, who's the Jazz assistant coach currently, Johnny Bryant, Knicks assistant, Kevin Young, Suns assistant, and Charles Lee Buck's assistant. It's very early in the process. My gut feeling is that Johnny Bryant is going to be the next head coach for the Utah Jazz. He has a very strong relationship with, with Donovan Mitchell, and Mitchell is going to stay in Utah because of Johnny Bryant. That's why I feel like they're not rebuilding. I feel like they're going to go get Johnny Bryant. Mitchell is staying in Utah, even though I would love to see him in Miami. I would love to see that happen. What about New York? I'm not the biggest fan of that. I'd rather approach the Knicks rebuild in a I different agree. way. 100% I agree. Um, but I think Donovan Mitchell will stay because Johnny Bryant will become the head coach. And to get this team better, I mean, they need a trade for a wing, whether it's a guy like OG Ananobi or Jeremy Grant. They need a trade for more defensive-oriented players. For sure. I think the first trade chip is Boyan Bogdanovich. I feel like he is a guy who's a tweener. He's 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 too slow for the three. He's not quite big enough for the four. Uh, he's a great offensive player, but defensively doesn't offer you much. Mike Conley getting off of him if there's a possibility because he's been regressing rapidly. That's a huge thing for them. But I think that they're heading towards a different era, but I don't think they're rebuilding. We, they still want to compete. Spoke, we spoke about it a little bit last week with the the whole less is more theory. Trading Boyan might be that type of piece where you have Boyan who has a, a very nice offensive skill set, but you might need to trade him to get assets that fit what you actually need to compete against these higher level teams. Um, but ultimately, I understand what you're saying where there's a new voice and we saw it last season or this season, excuse me, with, with the Boston Celtics and, and Brad moving up and Emei coming in. But until I see moves made that are going to benefit this roster and actually fill the holes that aren't necessary to compete, I'm going to be very active with saying that they need to rebuild. And when talking about Quinn Snyder, uh, I have four teams here. Spurs are Spurs on option. We talked about that before. Of course. The Hornets are an option, but I feel like they're fixated on Mike D'Antoni and Kenny Atkinson. 
the Sixers are out there. Do they fire Doc Rivers and now bring in Quinn Snyder? But for me, I feel like it makes too much sense for the Brooklyn Nets to fire Steve Nash and hire Quinn Snyder. Interesting. Steve Nash has not proven to be a good head coach. I feel like what the Nets are missing, we know they have the talent, Kyrie KD. You add Ben Simmons into that. He's talented, although he gets a lot of hate. He's still a good player. You now bring in a great head coach in Quinn Snyder. He can take them over the top. It, I feel like Steve Nash, has he gotten dealt the, the right cards? No. No, he hasn't. There's been a lot of bad luck happen to him. But I feel like from what we've seen, we can make an educated guess that he won't be as good of a head coach as Quinn Snyder. Bring in a proven guy to lead your franchise to go win a championship. Don't stick with Steve Nash because of stubbornness, because you want to be, you want to look and appear to be right. Go get a guy who's going to make you look like a genius. And I think that's Quinn Snyder. One thing I'll say is I don't want the Nets to go through a situation similar to the one that Jason Kidd went through, where Jason Kidd had Milwaukee on the on a on a increasing trend and he was a part of Giannis Giannis's ascension to being eventually the best player in the world. He had a hand in that, I should say. Majority Giannis, but of course, kid gets some credit. Now kid leaves, gets fired from Milwaukee, goes back to coaching, and now he's one of the better coaches in the NBA. Now I'm not saying that Steve Nash can have a similar type or is His going to be first thing was with the Nets though. For sure, 100%. But even still where he had success in Milwaukee, still gets canned, and now he's on the Mavericks, and now he's one of the best defensive-minded head coaches we have in the league right now. Steve Nash, like you alluded to uh, a little bit earlier, has been dealt a very, very unfortunate hand. And he's had to adjust on the fly, and yes, he hasn't done a great job of adjusting, but we're still in the early parts of his coaching career. It would be a shame if they decide to cut ties too early and he ends up going to another location and being a great coach. I'm pro the Nets getting rid of Steve Nash for any head coach. And if you have the opportunity Fair. to get Quinn Snyder as Top his replacement. Coach, of course, easily. Quinn Snyder, I can't blame you too much. Elite but level coach. If you're thinking for the long run, Steve Nash, he's still a brilliant, a brilliant basketball mind. And I feel like it's inevitable that he does make it work. As a head coach? I mean, no, he's been bad. I can't say you're wrong, but he, again, he's been dealt a tough hand. I just think the reason he was hired was not to be a head coach, just to sort of fill the role and, and be a player that, Kyrie and Katie can relate to and not necessarily be a huge overbearing locker room presence and be a great basketball mind. I think he was there for the player relations and to appease Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I feel like we've just seen so many players come in and be head coaches and have success in doing so that it makes it hard to believe that that's ultimately the case. But yes, that's been some speculation that he's been there just to be a face and just to have a coach's just to have that title placed by his name. But ultimately, I've seen too much success out of these player head coaches where it's going to allow me to think that he's just a guy filling a spot. Player head coaches that have had past experience, though. Steve Nash went into the job with no experience. Very true. Like, no coaching experience. Like, Ime, no, you're right. Ime had years on years of experience. Jason Kidd went straight into coaching, but he failed as the Nets head coach at first. But that's exactly my point with Steve Nash. Yeah, but I don't I don't think you know, Jason Kidd, it took a while for him to get on track. It did. It, it did. took a while. It did. And we're now just seeing he's a good saying he's a good coach, but it wasn't like that for eight years. You know, you make a, a very, very great point because once Jason Kidd took that assistant job with the Lakers, 
then it allowed him to 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 really learn the ins and outs of being a head coach, and now we're seeing him reap the rewards. So that's a very great point. And I also think having Luca helps. Yeah, but his mentality and his, what he wanted to focus on was showcased night in, night out with oh, yeah. the defense. You're definitely right. But you look at Ime, uh, just Tyron Lue, like they all paid their dues. They Monty did, Williams, for sure. they paid their dues. Uh, I think th- it's a no-brainer for me if I'm the Nets to get rid of Steve Nash. I know they want to co-sign it. him. If if Quinn Snyder wasn't out there, I would be like, okay, you can stick it with you can stick with Nash for one, one more year. But Quinn Snyder, as elite of a coach as he is, you just can't let that slip away. I get it. You I can't let that slip away for sure. Uh, a player that's that's going to get a big time contract this upcoming offseason, at least he hopes to, is Jalen Brunson. And there has been a report that came out that Brunson could receive a similar contract to Fred Van Vliet's four-year, $84 million deal, which is $21 million a season. What do you feel about that? You Where do what? you think— I actually want to turn this over to you because okay. yeah. I've seen you very active on, on Twitter, at Joel V. Moran, give him a follow. I've seen you very active defending Jalen Brunson over Fred Van Vliet. So I do want to pass this over to you. I am interested to, to hear your opinion. Well, for one, Jalen Brunson deserves this money. Oh, I'll I give agree. him more. I'll give him. I'll maybe give really? him five. Really, he's that good. He's that good. You're giving him four for a hundred. Yeah, that's not, that's not out not out of the realm of possibility. I'll do it. If you if you're it. the Mavericks, I would do it. If I'm Mavericks. Okay. Go and ahead. the reason for that is because Jalen Brunson. I've been high on Brunson for a while. You have. I've called his breakout. You have. And now he finally is broken out. 16 points per game, four rebounds, five assists in 32 minutes, shooting 50% from the field, 37% from three. And part of the the thing about Brunson, it's weird, right? Because he plays with Luka, and we often assume just because you play with this guy, Luka, oh, this is why your stats look so great because you're with Luka. But I actually think it's the opposite. I think Jalen Brunson's game is limited due to Luka Due to Luca having the ball so much, and obviously, if you're if you're a team, if you're a coach, you want Luca to have the ball more than Brunson. But Brunson's at his best when he's operating with the ball in his hands. He can't do that when Luca's on the court. And when Jalen Brunson started, when Luca didn't play, it was 17 games. He averaged 20 points and 7.4 assists per game. And then we saw in the playoffs, the first couple of games without Luca. He was averaging 32-5-5 versus the Jazz. He had a 40-point game. He was about to win a series for Dallas against a team in Utah who we knew had their struggles, but we didn't anticipate Brunson doing what he did to them that badly at at that high of a level. I agree. Jalen Brunson, when I mentioned him and Fred Van Vliet, because I put up a poll on Twitter, I said... Who who would you rather have, Brunson or Fred Van Vliet? It's, it was a landslide. It was eighty five percent Fred, fifteen percent Brunson. It depends a lot about the team, about which team you are. If I'm a team that I take defense into high regard, I was going to say the same thing. You know, I go, I'll slide with Fred, Fred for sure. But with a team like the Knicks, who I'm a fan of, who the one thing we're dying dying for is a player, is a point guard who can score who can drive and get to the basket at will, I want Jalen Brunson. So real quick, if you're the Mavericks, you want Fred Van Vliet. 
I want Jalen Brunson. But you just told me defensive minded. This is the difference. I feel like with this is the thing about Fred. Fred is an outstanding player. I'm not taking anything away from him. He he made an all star sure. rightfully. We're not shitting rightfully on either or. So. They're both really good ball players. But Fred Van Vliet playing with Luca is not averaging what he just averaged. Fred Van Vliet in the past three seasons since becoming a starter has averaged 18.6 points per game, four rebounds, six and a half assists, 40 percent from the field and 38 percent from three. Half of his shots come from three. He's a sniper. He's played 36 minutes per game in these past three seasons. In the past few seasons, he's competed with Kyle Lowry as the primary ball handler. In Tampa, it was nobody. And now this year, really competed with nobody. He has the backcourt to himself. Him now teaming up with a player like Luka, he'd average 16, 17 a game. And he doesn't offer you the half-court offense Jalen Brunson offers you. He can't He can't drive to the basket like Brunson. He can't finish like Brunson. He can't get to his spots in the mid-range like Brunson. If Fred Van Vliet's three-point shots aren't falling, he's having an off game offensively because he's not doing much outside of that. But don't you think that Luka would allow him more floor spacing for him to maximize what his strength is well, in shooting? You, you can say that, but mm-hmm. also I can say that this season, Brunson and Fred Van Vliet both shot 37% from three. For sure. So I'm not getting, there's no difference between the three-point percentage and Fred shoots 40% from the field and Brunson shoots 50% from the field. Fred Van Vliet, better playmaker. Would you agree? I think he's a slightly better one. Better I think, defender. I think Fred Van Vliet, due to his role in the Raptors offense, has the assist numbers over Brunson, but Brunson in a similar role is averaging the same number of assists. So one thing you said that right now leans Jalen Brunson, which I agree with, his ability to get to the basket, fine, and his ability to finish at the basket. But playmaking, we lean Fred. Slightly. Shooting, we lean Fred. It's the same. Fred Van Viet's volume is so much, but his volume's more than Jalen Brunson. You want to say three-point shooting, I'll give it to Fred, even slightly, though. I think Fred's a, a slightly better three-point but, shooter. But again, like you alluded to. He's I'm not a better mid-range shooter. He's not a better finisher. He's not a, The finishing, fine. He's not a better shooter from anywhere on the floor outside of three. Brunson hasn't beaten all those areas. And he's a better shot creator than him, too. I feel, especially in the playoffs where you need a guy to get you a bucket, Fred Van Vliet can get into slumps because of that. And I think Brunson is much more reliable in a half court setting like with and Lu- in a playoff setting. What you said with Luca being out and Jalen Brunson elevating his play, this is what helps your case because, and it allows me to to even lean a little bit towards Brunson because of how great he was alone and his ability to to elevate his play against Utah. However, I do look at Utah, and we just had a whole discussion about Utah's lack of perimeter defense which allow Jalen Brunson to show otherworldly talents against them. I just struggle with cons- the consistency part of it. I, yes, Jalen Brunson was re- was damn good this playoffs, but can he do it again? That's my worry. I've seen I've seen Fred where he did struggle against the Sixers, no doubt about it. He did end up he was getting hurt. hurt. Yes. But he's shown a level of consistency and an increase in his play year to year. Well, Fred has shown... And defensively, we only, don't have to speak about that. There's really only been one to two playoffs. There's been one. There's been two playoffs where Fred has been in his current role. This past playoffs where he didn't play well, and last playoffs in, in 2020 after Kawhi left where... They were really good. In that playoffs, 11 games, he averaged 19.6 points per game, four rebounds, seven assists, 40% from the field, 39% from three. He was really good. Yep, yeah, he was really good. But before that, it was just, he was a role player. 
And, and he, he was a, a strong he part thrived of that, in his role. No doubt. Brunson's playoffs this year, 21.6 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 46% from the field, and 35% from three. Brunson had a better playoffs in these in these in this playoffs than Fred had in 2020. The stats against Utah skew that a little bit. You and can say that, but he averaged 18 against the no, re- he averaged 18 against both the the Phoenix Suns and the Warriors on on really good splits. No, I'm, I'm, Outside of Phoenix, he he shot 25 percent from three versus Golden State. He shot 40 percent from three in that series. It's just that the 21 comes from him dominating Utah and Utah. Like again, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Their perimeter defense is garbage. No, I agree yeah. with what you're saying, but I I think Brunson is just as good as Fred Van Vliet. But then defensively, that's where I have the the separation. Defensively, you can say that, but I I don't think for one, I don't think Fred is an elite level defender. I think for his a, size, no, he's a great defender. He is. He's not an elite level defender because his size does limit him. Same, it's going to happen with anybody. Mm-hmm. Brunson is not a cone. He's an average defender. He's not a liability on defense. Because of that, I think, depending on a team, Eileen Brunson. Which is why I say the Mavericks. But I do, I value shot creation a lot. And Brunson is a much better shot creator yes, but, than Fred. But it's not like Fred can't create his shot. Not like Brunson, though. To a degree, yes, I understand your point. But even not like still, Brunson. what do you think, Will? Jalen Brunson deserves the Van Vliet money. I don't think he will, nor do I think he should get more than that. I feel like to get more than that, to get the 25 a year, you have to be a a second option realistically. And I don't know if he is that yet in this point of his career. I don't know who you would pair him with. If you're a team like the Knicks where you need a point guard very badly, you don't necessarily even have that best player. I mean, RJ Barrett's on his way. Julius Randle will be there assuming that uh, this season doesn't change very much. But, you know, to me, I think he's worth the Van Vliet money. If you're a team like the Knicks who needs a point guard that badly for any other team in the NBA, but no way should he get more than that. I just think, you end up overpaying for a player you don't need to overpay for. If the Mavs want to do it, if Mark Cuban is like that and he wants to shell out the 25, um, that's going to be on him. I don't think I wouldn't do that personally. I think uh, he's just going to be overpaying there to keep his player. But I think he's worth the Van Vliet money for sure. He's a, it's, a good co- it's a good comparison, uh, and I, just, I think he's worth it. I think he is worth it. I hope the Knicks do sign him. I, I think the Knicks are in a great position. I really do. I agree. I think Jalen. Next year, we're going to have Jalen Brunson, Johnny Davis, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle. Mitch maybe comes back. Maybe he doesn't. Even if we trade Randle, we got Obi Toppin right there waiting. He's nice. We have a great bench. I mean, third seed is in the cars next year. Stop oh it. <laughs> Stop it. Especially Knicks, with Brunson. I'm a Knicks fan. I won't I won't go top three seed. I don't think. With Brunson, it's a possibility. Fournier's still in the contract or he's out of there? No, he's under contract. I was thinking this. If the Knicks, the Knicks can't just sign Brunson outright, so it has to be a sign and trade. I would make what if you know, hey Dallas, you want Emmanuel quickly and Evan Fournier for Brunson, and I throw in like a pick or something. What if they ask for Julius Randle for Jalen Brunson? I don't care. I'll yeah, I think him. you have to do it. it it's going to make your team worse in the immediate because you don't have both of them. But this is more Brunson because Obi, Obi could come in and start, and then you have Jalen Brunson. Exactly, Brunson is worth more to a team than Randle at this point. I think. So unfortunate. We're talking about an all NBA player, right, Joel? Used to be. I, I mean, I remember I was on a podcast with Will for Seton Hall. I remember we, this. We had this discussion about if Julius Randle should get paid. I said no. <laughs> I was not going to pay Julius. Were you paying Randall. 
I was paying him. Yes. You have to. You have to. Pay you him. have to because he did something that hasn't been done since Melo, right? And Knicks fans just gravitate towards someone that does that brings them to the playoffs easily because the Knicks are begging for something, right? And he wasn't this year. He he's like he's like Curry in the finals where there's such a spotlight on him for the Knicks that he was overhated and he was bad. He was dude. bad compared to last year. The Curry comparison strong. It's okay. strong because he was bad. He was bad. I, he had good moments. The thing I will say is off the court, he was horrible this year. He was compared to last year. That's, I know what you mean. That's the worst part about it is Very he well kind said. of like turned on the franchise at the end of the season where last year he was all about New York. I want to finish my career with the Knicks. And at the end of this year, he was not the locker room guy that you he knew was him booing as. fans like, so, come on, that yeah. was that was egregious. That's a bad look. It was a bit too much. And talking about Julius Randle, he might make your list if we're talking about this. Naming two to three players that you think should get traded this offseason. Now, I have four. Neither of them are Julius Randle. If I'm the Knicks, I stick with him one more season. Really? You know, I, I let just, it ride. I like that. You know, just because for one, right now is the lowest Siri, value. What are you sorry yeah, for? I, yeah, I don't know what she's sorry for. <laughs> uh, maybe Julius Randle's performance. Uh, <laughs> I feel like right now Julius Randle's value is the lowest that it's ever going to be. Might as well let him play so he can at least bring his value back up and we can get more pieces for him. Good point. Uh, so that's why I wouldn't trade him. But let me just go first and name players I think should get traded this offseason. I think starting off with Donovan Mitchell, I want to see him go to a team like the Miami Heat because I feel like they are a score away Fun fact, I was playing uh, NBA My League. Bro, these tweets were hilarious, but go ahead. And I was, you know, I had the thought, I'm like, you know, let, let's make Tyler Hero the face of the Utah Jazz. Let me try to win a championship so with funny. Tyler Hero being the best player on my team. Unsuccessful, but in the first year of the Tyler Hero era in 2K. Tyler Hero experience. Let's the Miami Heat won a championship and Donovan Mitchell won finals MVP averaging 41 points per game. So if 2K is anything like real life then there's a possibility that the Heat win a championship next year with Donovan Mitchell. Do you think 2K is real life? That's what they say. 2K is exactly <laughs> like real life. I think sometimes, you know, sometimes they be getting those finals matches correct. You know what? Just to throw in my two cents, I have Donovan Mitchell on my list also, but I also have Rudy Gobert. Now, I say that because I alluded to this a little bit earlier. I think that Utah are just trending in that direction of a rebuild, and it starts by getting the ridiculous money of Rudy Gobert's contract. And, well, Donovan Mitchell, not so much where he is under contract, but Rudy Gobert is the one that you look at and you're, if you're the Utah Jazz and you want nothing to do with it. But then it does make him a difficult piece to trade because what team's really going to want to give him $45 million a season? Not many. But there's teams that he could fit, like the Hornets, that that will suit his, his strengths and and potentially utilize it to their benefit. But where the the Jazz stand right now, his his talents and his strengths are not best suited for them. And it shows year in, year out where they disappoint every year. But like you were, we were talking about Donovan Mitchell a little bit earlier. Yes, if Donovan Mitchell were to get traded, the preferred destination, if I'm Donovan Mitchell, would be Miami. Because if you look at Miami this season, they needed a number two option, a consistent number two option on the scoring side of things. And Tyler Hero was supposed to be that. And he was hurt for sure, but he did not perform. Now, this is the second time in a row where he has underwhelmed. A guy like Duncan Robinson, who I also have here, is someone that you got you paid him $18 million for him to basically be a bench player. You ship both of these guys out, maybe you add another piece, and you go and get a Donovan Mitchell. You're at least 
you understand that Tyler Hero, if he continues to play on this tra- trajectory, he's going to want a ridiculous amount of money. Might as well combine these two players and put it towards a player that's going to be of that money combined, but is actually going to perform for you. I had both of those players on my list. The one player I'm going to bring up, I don't know if I have great reasoning for this player or great reasoning for what team they should go to, but I think Ben Simmons needs to get traded wow. this offseason. I wow. think that's have to completely change their team. He just was part of a of a team this year that clearly did not have the team chemistry they needed to make a championship push. I don't think you can have a player like Ben Simmons on a championship team at this point in his career. And the, the Nets are on a win-now trajectory. And I think Ben Simmons just what he... the the I don't know how to describe it. The vibe about him does not seem like he's ready to win now and to contribute to a championship-level team. So I think they have to get rid of him for whatever you can, honestly, and just rebuild that whole bench and get good depth for your top two guys. The Nets don't need Ben Simmons to win a championship if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving playing at the height of their abilities. So just get players around them that can space the floor, that can play well, that can fill out their roles, and don't worry about the drama of Ben Simmons next year. Just get rid of him and just move on from that failure which never even got off the ground. I mean, he obviously didn't play. So I think they got to move on from him and put other players around Katie and Kyrie. Yeah, I think the toughest part about that is just what can you get back for Ben Simmons at this point? Yeah. You know, because they the Sixers were lucky enough to get Harden for Ben Simmons. But I think you're right. I think Ben Simmons, he doesn't really fit what they want to do, especially if they bring Bruce Brown back. Having Brown and Ben Simmons on the court together just doesn't make much sense. So I agree. Uh, other names I have on here, Jeremy Grant. Okay. I feel like Detroit, maybe if there's a sign-in trade with the Suns and Detroit, Aiton goes to Detroit, and now Jeremy Grant could go to the, go to the Phoenix Suns. I feel like they like needed that. more wing depth. Uh, you can replace – I mean, Aiton is easily replaceable. We know this. Uh, I think centers in general in this day and age, outside of the top echelon of centers, are easily replaceable. Uh, Tobias Harris is another one. I feel like the Sixers – need to get off from his contract and just surround the duo of Harden and Embiid with more serviceable role players that fit what they want to do. I think Tobias Harris is a very good player. I think it's unfortunate that he's he's getting paid like a superstar because if he wasn't, we'd be talking about Tobias in a much different light. And he's just associated with Jimmy Butler. That's just going to kill him yeah. for the rest of his career. And then the last player I have is, uh, is Buddy Heald. Okay. I think Indiana is... Going into a rebuild, they don't need a player like Buddy Heald to hold them back and maybe, you know, go crazy for a couple of games and give them some wins. He's a player who I think fits a win now team and can contribute immediately, kind of like an Eric Gordon. And I feel like him being in Indiana is wasting what he could be contributing to a a, a winning organization. So he'd be good on the Nets, I think. Yeah, he would. For sure. I think he'd he would. Be good on the Lakers, if I'm being completely honest, but I don't know what assets we'd have to acquire him. Um my last guy that I have is actually one that Spurs fans aren't going to love, and it's DeJounte Murray. I say DeJounte Murray solely for the fact that he is a young piece, and he's only gotten better since he's come into the league, and he's by far had a career year, 21 points, 8.3 rebounds, 9.2 assists, was thirteenth, uh, had the 13th highest PER, 22.32. His shooting is not where you'd want it to be, but he, has, he is a, a defensive machine. He would be a great piece that the Spurs could use to get future assets to try and build a winning organization, a winning culture that I don't know if DeJounte Murray can be the cornerstone of. And it's going to take a long time for the Spurs to 
put a team around DeJounte Murray if it were to happen to actually com- contend for 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 a playoff spot or potentially a, a championship. I feel as if, if you trade DeJounte Murray, you'll get more in return. My last player is De'Aaron Fox. I am addicted to the Knicks <laughs> getting De'Aaron Fox as their point guard. I'll do whatever it takes. He's a Kentucky guy. The Knicks are a Kentucky team. They love drafting Kentucky players. I just think he fits the vibe of that of the organization at this point, and I'm addicted to it. It just we need a, a point guard like De'Aaron Fox on the Knicks. Don't tell that to him. Julius Randle, Sabonis front court. I don't care what the Kings do with their organization. That's something that they would do if we're being honest. I feel like at this point, De'Aaron Fox. Listen, if I'm you, I understand. I want I want De'Aaron yeah. Fox. He immediately would make your team better. However, if I'm the Kings, I traded Tyrese Halliburton to. To have right. De'Aaron Fox be the cornerstone, the main. No, but the point is they're stupid. They yeah. trade Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> Listen, he, they are stupid. Unfor- like, unfortunate for them, they are, they've made a lot of questionable moves. Yeah. But at this point, it would be tough to see them part with De'Aaron. Unless they're completely saying, we're done, we're a horrible team, De'Aaron can go and we get future assets. Maybe that's the case, but I think you're... you're it's a reach. You're it's, my, it's my dream. That's what Fair it enough. is. Fair enough. So that's going to do it for episode 185 of the Pick Aside podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Pick Aside Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Pick Aside Podcast, and buy our merch so at PickAsidePodcast.com. Also, don't forget to drop a rating and review on our podcast. Absolutely. It helps Please us a lot. That. And shout out to Will, first show. Show him some love thank in the you, comments. Thank you. Thank you for being here, filling in for. We got to work on that. Dad, but other than that, it was really it was a great show, man. I appreciate yeah. the invite for real. This is a lot of fun. Of course. Yep. So thank you guys for watching and or listening, and we'll see you next time.